Hey everybody, AJ here, producer and editor of Into the Aether, this podcast that you are currently listening to. Uh, before we get into the actual episode, I just wanted to come out here up front and say, while there is a lot of stuff and a lot of news that is covered in this episode, the one huge thing that you might be missing uh, is the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda for $7.5 billion. Uh, that's because that happened the morning after <laughs> that the episode was recorded, um, and so they do not talk about it within this episode. Uh, they might talk about it next week, uh, but if not, there's a lot of chat about it happening on our Discord, so you can head on over to bit.ly slash TWG Discord uh, if you want to be a part of that conversation. Uh, that link is also in the show notes. Uh, and I think that is it. So now we will get into the regular episode when I'm done speaking, which is right now. See ya. Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brennan Thickley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, I'm just I'm just like mentally preparing for what's about to happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this episode has like changed uh, has changed uh, lineup and format so many times over the past couple weeks, uh, or I guess over the past week. It's only been seven days, and and you and I have come into uh, this, I think, more excited than we have been in a long time to record an episode of the show. Not that we're not excited to record other ones, but this one in particular is like, man, there's a lot of stuff to cover, and I think at a certain point we were like, okay, how do we pick and choose what to cover, and then yesterday we just decided let's do it. Eh, fuck let's it. Let's do just do it, it yeah. all. Games of the Decade Part 2, baby. Let's do it. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, for those who maybe uh, are under a rock, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, for those who maybe have missed it, uh, there were the uh, PlayStation events, the Xbox events, and a Nintendo Partners Direct, which directly leads into the games we've been playing. Yeah, Splunky Two came out. It's been a it's been a lot of really exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to start this episode with just like all the events but also what we specifically like what, what we're excited about we're not going to go through every beat like we sometimes do we're going to talk about like what we're looking forward to from the various events yeah uh, and then later on we'll get into specifically the games we've been playing but uh i guess <laughs> overall i think i i'm just really excited it's nice to be excited you know it is nice I, to be um, excited i agree yeah uh, i i tragically tried and failed to order a ps5 i went to <laughs> bestbuy.com and was given a virus i was blocked by gamestop yeah uh, that was my favorite one i think it was not personal but boy it felt personal uh <laughs> well, yeah because the, the check the copy on the website was you have been blocked by gamestop.com yeah. i'm like i might have thrown mild shade in fucking season one of the show but you know <laughs> i've given you at least four hundred dollars in the past two years it's yeah. more than most people uh so yeah it was just a bizarre series of events but um <laughs> What they've announced and what's been happening since is very exciting. So, what do you want to? What do you want to begin with? What I would love to hear your kind of like artist's uh, brushstroke on like all three events. You know, yeah, like just to kind of start broad. Yeah, I think that. So, it, it is worth noting that the Xbox event happened like two or three weeks ago, and we were kind of holding off on talking about it until the Sony one because it was rumored that the Sony one was going to happen at the beginning of September, and then it ended up not. I think because of all the Xbox stuff that got announced at the beginning of September, they wanted to kind of space it out a little bit more. And then there's the Nintendo Partner Direct, which came 
later, which was just like kind of icing on the cake. It's not like I wouldn't call it anything that happened there really an announcement on the same level as like we have a new video game console coming out and here's the right. price and date. Um, but it was still a really exciting event. Um, yeah. And to me, it makes it feel like we sat there waiting for Summer Games Fest to be E3, but over three months for, I don't know, well, I guess for three months uh, and never really like got that feeling. You know, we got a lot of announcements, but never really got that like E3 feeling. And then suddenly first two weeks of September, it's like, oh, yeah, here's that feeling that you were craving the whole time. Like we suddenly got all the announcements we wanted and then some, which yeah. is which is thrilling. Yeah, I think I, I, the reason I wanted to talk about it on the show, even though we don't talk about news too much on the show, is like we're about to go into the next generation of video game consoles and like next gen yeah. as like a phrase is just like such a loaded collection of words with a hyphen there. Uh, and and I, I think I would be interested to like get your take on what you feel you're excited about or not excited about next gen, like in, in the context of the things that were announced in these in these two announcements. So I think like we could run through the Xbox one so quick. I mean, the Xbox stuff, it wasn't even like really an event as much as it was a series of tweets uh, and then a video that they had planned on <laughs> releasing and then decided not to because they put the tweets out instead. Um, it all leaked is essentially like the goof of the whole thing was that all the Xbox stuff leaked and Microsoft was like, well, I guess why not just tweet it then? So the the thing with the Xbox is that the, the next uh, generation of the Xbox lineup is going to be two consoles. It's the Series S and the Series X. They both launch on November 10th. The Series S is going to be $300. Yeah. Which is $299, which is wild. Uh, It doesn't have a disc slot. It's digital only. Um, It's not going for 4K resolution. It's uh, 1440p. Um, And just like to kind of put that into comparison, it's about like three times the graphical fidelity of the current lineup of Xbox Ones, Uh, with maybe the exception of the Xbox One X, which is a device I always forget exists. (laughs) So that's the Series S. It is like wildly cheap uh, and will get you into next gen. It'll get you in the door with next gen at, at a price that is literally the same as the Nintendo Switch unbelievable the the next one is the series x which we already kind of knew about um but that is going to be 499 500 dollars uh 4k hdr it's it's the works it's everything that you know and love about uh what you've been hearing about next gen it has a disc slot and pretty much like the, the thing with the series x is like anything you would want in a video game console is probably in there if you're okay with not getting 4k but still getting your foot in the door the series s is probably the way to go the big icing on the cake for all of that is that game pass you know it is first of all a thing that exists and is great but they're also in the same announcement they added that they're uh including ea play which was ea's version of game pass essentially which means that you get every single ea game as well so that's the entire mass effect lineup that's the titanfall games battlefield fifa skate sims like everything that ea does is also now included in game pass which is just like an even more wild deal than it was before yeah I mean, I think uh, I think it's a brilliant strategy because I think that including myself in this, I think most people will go for the Series S because yeah. like, you know, that I think the big mistake Xbox made and Microsoft by extension made with last generation was kind of like putting themselves up against Sony. So that last generation felt like Sony versus Microsoft and Nintendo is kind of frolicking in a meadow somewhere. Yeah. And like, that's still very much the case. The meadow has grown into like a labyrinth of trees and <laughs> And Nintendo's doing very well. But now I think Microsoft is like, well, why don't we also do our own thing? You know, like uh, them pricing their console into next gen the way at at the same price as the Switch, I think to me reads as like, we don't want you to choose this or PlayStation. Right. You know, like we're totally content. 
whether you, you know, I mean, all this is relative to income, obviously. And like, that's, you know, like all this shit is expensive, you know, even the cheap stuff. So I'm not saying like it's a guarantee. Yeah. But like, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely like leaning in that direction of like, we're not as, cause you know, Xbox One, PS4, you're not going to get both. But there's just not enough reason to get both, mm-hmm. you know? Even you, who is so interested in what's new, ended up selling your Xbox One more than once. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think, I think my, you asked me before though, my feelings on this generation. I don't know if just, I don't know if it's just because we're doing this show, but I am much more excited this time than I was in 2013. You know, me- me too, actually. Like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I, I think that the jump in graphical quality and the jump in like anything really between PS3 and PS4 and by extension uh, 360 and Xbox One wasn't really big enough for me to want to get a new system. The only system I got at that time, I've said this many times, but in 2013, I got a 3DS and I was like set for three years. I didn't get a <laughs> PS4 until yeah. 2016. And now in retrospect, like the, the games that have come out this generation are amazing. Like this has been a great great generation of games. I feel like if you ask most people, they would be underwhelmed. But when you look at the games that have come out for these systems, it's incredible. Yeah. And ironically, I think one of the biggest selling points of next generation is finally getting to play a lot of the games of this generation on the platform that can actually run them. Yeah. You know, I think like I, I'm not a big graphics person. I, I, a lot of my favorite games, you know, we've, we've highlighted a lot of our favorites and a lot of them aren't the like big, you know, graphical showstoppers like Red Dead 2 or whatever. But like it's saying a lot that now you can actually play Red Dead 2 and not hear your PS4 begging for death you know <laughs> like um, that aside yeah. too I do think that like the jump in performance is much bigger than it was last generation like I, yeah. I like the, the thing that comes to mind immediately is weirdly like the two games to me that feel the most next gen are Ratchet Clank uh, which was at an older Sony event and that goes into what we were talking about about instant loading which I think is maybe the biggest game changer the fact that like loading screens may be a thing of the past right which by the way it is worth noting that the xbox also has that functionality in yes. it. Um, yes that, that's the thing that that playstation was like here's our big advantage you know is like you're going to be able to load shit really fast because we made a new proprietary version of what a hard drive can be um and then also we have like 3d audio processing or something like that and there's probably more but those are the two big bullet points and xbox was like yeah we have that too <laughs> like, okay cool great same here baby yeah. and you so, can actually pre-order ours so hey. ratchet and clank and then what was the other one ratchet clank in that that whole game is about portals to other worlds and it's basically yeah. a game that's showing off that there are no loading screens like those portals mm-hmm. are just like here's a new level asshole we <laughs> jump right into it uh, <laughs> yeah uh, and the other one was the the Demon Souls remake. That looks stunning. stunning. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it really is. Like it feels like how they want you to feel about next gen. So I don't know, man. I I, I definitely think that the, it feels like last generation felt a little bit like a, if you want to get past this gate, you have to be this tall and pay me this much. <laughs> this feels like they're at least every you know the big three are interested in what they are trying to do. Yeah. Sony is still very much like Palpatine resting on their laurels and is like look at all the exclusives I have you know like it's very much still that but I I would be lying if I wasn't impressed by like what is being offered yeah Um, yeah so I, I and I'm excited to see because I think you brought up a great point with like if you're going to highlight what happened this past generation on a on like a technological level, the share button, you know, was the big thing. Yeah. You, you mentioned that many Absolutely. times. So like 
the fact that we could stream immediately from a PS4 is, is amazing. And, and that connection to, you know, the internet and then that connection of like kind of sharing, it, it, that is the thing. The yeah. share button was the thing. Yeah. The same way that being 3D was the 64's thing. I am, yeah, completely agree. Yeah, I mean, last gen was all about creating connection, right? Like last gen to me was just all about taking the experiences that you were having and 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 being able to say like, check this out with everybody else. And that, and that ripples out to everything. That ripples out to like creating entire new industries uh, of, of, of like potential products, right? Like Twitch.tv, Mixer, things like that, you know, Mixer RIP. Um, but, you know, things like that existing and like becoming gigantic, huge uh, companies um, at the same time, it also changes everything about marketing. Right. Like if you're a, if you're a person who's trying to make a game, if you're a studio that's trying to make a game, like one of the thoughts now is, do I make something that's going to be fun to stream? You know, is is the the next thing that I'm going to make? Am I going to be angling for one of the top five spots on Twitch's browse section? You know, and that's when you get games like Fall Guys or you get like Battle Royales as a whole. So, yeah, I, I, I think the share button is, is huge. Um, and uh, thankfully, they're both going to be there in, in next gen, which is great. Specifically, um, with the Xbox, you can now, I think, go to Twitch. I don't know if you could before. I've never really tried. But I think they were really trying to push you to Mixer, which is Microsoft's version of Twitch. And Mixer doesn't exist anymore. So I think on the yeah. on the new Xboxes, you're going to be able to go to Twitch. But yeah, the, the, the Xbox stuff specifically for me, I mean, I, I think this is no surprise. People have been listening for a long time. But the Xbox stuff is the stuff that I'm, I think, the most interested in, the most excited about. Um, specifically, like Game Pass by itself is amazing. But also, what's it going to look like when this game, when this system launches with no games? You know, there are no exclusives really coming to Xbox. Um, there's a couple things like uh, Gears Tactics they announced is going to launch on Xbox consoles for the first time with the with the launch of the console. So like, I guess I guess that's exciting to some people. Um, you know, I I'll probably play it. It got great reviews. I'll give it a shot because it's on Game Pass, and why not? That's what Game Pass is all about. But like, yeah, it's just very interesting that as soon as they moved Halo Infinite, it was like, oh, this is actually launching with nothing, which means that. That the Xbox Series S or Series X is the console for people who didn't have an Xbox last gen. Like, that is the reason to get one at launch now. It's not for the investment in what could come later. It's the investment in what came before and the ability to play all of it. That's exactly that's such a wild like positioning and marketing idea. Just the fact that like, yes, we are building backwards compatibility into this thing at such a deep level that you will buy it to play things that have existed for 15 years. I mean, that's what I'm that's where I'm at. You know, yeah. like I didn't get an Xbox one. We just discovered I'm, you could play Morrowind on the new Xbox, which is like, yeah. And I'm like, wild. OK, take take two hundred dollars here. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. You know, and I right. I currently have no way of playing Game Pass. So like for right. me, I'm very content with that thing being a Game Pass box, you know, yeah. which is why the series S just kind of I also we. We recently found out how big the PS5 is and like, yeah, I literally need size to get wise. a Series S. We want to just mention sp- size wise. Yeah, size wise. Yeah, po- it's popular. Sure. But it's huge <laughs> physically. Um, when you were talking about the ex- uh, exclusives, though, I just got a flashback of the Parks and Rec episode where Chris is trying to compete with Ron's hamburger recipe. Mm. And like Chris is like, here's a turkey burger seasoned with saffron, all this. And Ron's like, here's a burger. It's made of beef. And everyone's like, oh, this is better. Like, <laughs> Sorry. I know you're trying really hard, but this is just better. And that's kind of how I see Sony and Microsoft when they were competing in that way. Cause like, I think as much as, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's going to flip because I think that Sony like and we'll talk about this with their event, like they've got the, the big exclusives. That's their thing. But 
Xbox is so invested in like doing interesting things and maybe funding things that are not in the spotlight that I'm also like extremely interested to see where that leads, you know, because that's going to lead to like the surprise hits, not the ones yes. that you're waiting yes. eight years for, but the ones that come out week of and you're like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. And yeah. that's that's kind of why I'm also getting it. I'm getting it for Game Pass and I'm getting it for that. Like, all right, man, like this is your this is like the comeback year. Like, I want to see what's going on. Yeah. Like, is it? Ar- I, I don't know if it's Arcane Studios. I think it is um, who just made that game for Xbox Grounded, which is the like, honey, I shrunk the kids like open world survival game where, you know, you're a little kid who is trapped in a backyard and you're fighting like giant insects and stuff uh, and like cutting down blades of grass and crafting them into things like that's not a game that I particularly am interested in playing to be totally honest, but I'm so glad that they got the funding from Microsoft to make it happen and it's going to be on Game Pass forever. Like, that's awesome. That's the kind of experience that I want to see crafted for Game Pass. And, And I think it is worth noting, too, that like, yes, there's going to be really interesting stuff showing up on Game Pass. Uh, Xbox just bought like how many studios? I don't know, between 10 and 15 right. different studios over the Double past couple fine, years. And, and yeah, like yeah. A, lot of, a lot of big names. Um, but on top of all of that, all of the huge AAA exclusives that they're working on will also be on Game Pass day one. Like that's just part of what that service is. You know, when Halo Infinite comes out, it's going to be on Game Pass. Yeah. So like not only are you getting this console at like a pretty cheap price if you're going with the Series X, like a pretty like significantly cheap price. A Series S, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Series S. Uh, but you're getting you're getting Game Pass as well, which is an investment in the future as much as it is an investment in the past. So it, they're really just encompassing everything that you would want as a person who plays video games. Um, and yeah. it's wild. And we didn't even talk about the fact that like some people are, are for and against this, but like there are financing options for both of these consoles. And specifically, the thing that I find really interesting is that both of the financing options for the S and the X both come with Game Pass as well. It's just like part of the deal where you're paying yeah. over the course of 12 months $300 for the Series S but also you're getting Game Pass with it. Wild deal. An incredible deal. Yeah. So you could pay like 30 bucks and suddenly have a new system and yes. access to all these games like and obviously you'll pay more eventually but yeah. Yeah. I mean and to be to be completely candid like my investment in getting Game Pass for this show in particular is huge yes. cuz like that's going to save us a lot of money to be able to be like okay, here's something I checked out on a whim and it was great and it's it's not a I walked three miles to the retro store and got this rare game for $60 whim. Yeah. But it's a I opened Game Pass and played this Honey, I Shunk the Kids survival game. <laughs> and now I can talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't realize this, but this is this is the first generation where I'm getting both. You know, I've yeah. always chosen with 360 and PS3. I got a 360 and I got a Wii. Mm-hmm. That was my entry point. And honestly, good move. Um, really good move yeah later on i did the same by the way i got a ps4 and a switch and the switch is like kind of i would consider it still this generation it just kind of came out like they're again nintendo doing their own thing they're like in next gen already you know yeah but as we said there's probably going to be like a new switch with like a you know whatever yeah rumors of an upgraded thing next next year yeah so i'm excited for xbox do you want to move on to the ps5 event yeah and just absolutely what we're excited about yeah i i think i think it's worth talking about the ps5 event just in comparison to this uh so the PS5 event was like really an event event. You know, they were it, it was essentially a thing that was going to show off a bunch of PS5 gameplay, a bunch of games that were going to come out for the thing um, and then end with the price and launch date was kind of what we all expected. Uh, and that's essentially what we got. There are a couple like holy shit surprises in there. But honestly, some of this stuff is like really, really 
thrilling and then um and then you realize like it's not going to come out anytime soon so yeah there was, there was a lot of like excitement roller coaster during that event yeah. like i i went from like 1000 to zero really quick sometimes yeah yeah so i i think it opened with final fantasy right did it oh yeah, yeah. i think it, it opened did. with final fantasy yeah so you it, messaged me like are you watching in all caps yeah because they yeah you go first and then i'll 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 make my sacrifice. Sure. I, so there were rumors that there was going to be a Final Fantasy reveal in here. I had heard that Final Fantasy 16 was like potentially going to show up. And I had no idea. I, I did not hear anything. I mean, you're, you're more online than I am, but I had no idea. That's great. Personally. I'm very happy for you that you didn't yeah. hear any rumors. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't really know if I believed it, honestly, because I, I don't know. I feel like I just played Final Fantasy 15. Like it feels like that just came out <laughs> recently, but it, I guess not. <laughs> Um, Final Fantasy Four 16 years, not yeah. only is it in the works but like it's looking pretty good it has big Final Fantasy 14 energy in terms of vibe and no surprise it is uh, being created by some of the team that made Final Fantasy 14 specifically Heavensward and the current thing Shadowbringers um, yeah that that team is is what's making Final Fantasy 16 um, there's no release date here it's Square Enix it could be another decade before it shows up but it looked really, really good. I mean, specifically the thing for me that really gets me excited about it, and I'm sure you'll go into this more, is like it is high fantasy ass Final Fantasy. You know, it is Final Fantasy nine kind of vibes, um, but in, you know, a, a, a 2022 maybe outfit. It looks that feels right. It looks that, amazing. 2022 feels if like March 2022 is like yeah. very accurate. Yeah, so I mean, I just kind of assumed like, you know, it feels like the last four Final Fantasies have all gone through their own production hell, you yeah. know, like Final Fantasy 15 in particular, like it's amazing that game is halfway as good as it is. Because that like, started that, as 13, like a like a versus, spinoff of 13, right? Yeah, yeah. it started as, as a spinoff of 13 and, and it was in production for forever. I didn't even play until like a year ago and I got it for free. That, <laughs> <laughs> so like I went into 15 with like very different vibes than if i like pre-ordered it yeah um it's fine it's like middle of the road for me i i enjoy some aspects of it a lot and others not as much but uh 12 also went through production hell uh 13 i'm not as familiar with but you know 14 we've talked a lot about and i just assumed that the new mainline final fantasy was going to be like whatever future episodes of the 7 remake are coming out you know i'm like 16 mm-hmm. is probably going to be when i'm like 50 you know like it's not going to happen anytime soon yeah so i was amazed that it exists i think um it does look really cool it does uh it does look very you're right it's very high fantasy ff14 ff12 yeah 12 ff9 is a great point. in the sense that like you said it's high fantasy but it's extremely dark it looks like it might be like the dark storyline in a Final Fantasy game like a child gets sprayed with their seemingly parents blood like mm-hmm. halfway through the trailer yeah um, I'm most curious to see who the cast is it's like the one big question mark is like I couldn't even tell who the protagonist was really from, right from right that. and a lot of people are worried it's gonna be like another like four dudes in a car scenario uh, with 15 mm-hmm. but you know we'll see what happens I mean that that's 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 the big question mark of like how much I'm gonna be pumped for this game because I think the strength of Final Fantasy for me has always been the ensemble you know so like yeah i really hope that it's a rich cast but it seems like it's much more like you said in line with 14 i wouldn't even be surprised if it's set in evil east which is like 
they're setting for 12 like, in spirit for 14 for tactics and for uh vagrant story mm-hmm. i believe which is like another square game it has that a lot of people have pointed it even has like kind of dragon's dogma energy weirdly um <laughs> it also from a combat perspective looks a little bit like a dragon's dogma dark souls kind of inspiration it looks a little less like final fantasy 15 yeah. and kingdom hearts and ff7 remake and stuff i might have dreamt this but i do think that someone who worked on the combat and dragon's dogma is involved in the game oh wow. so Great. um i i would be a little bit disappointed if they didn't at least crib a bit of the game in what ff7 remake did because like i'm with you that scene like while i love that every final fantasy game tries out something different i do think that like i want to see that battle system like nourished and and see it flourish because yeah. it's such a good way to do it that if they just completely left it behind, uh, you know, it'd be it would be a shame to not experiment more with that formula. But yeah, I'm 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 contractually obligated to be excited for that game, so I am, <laughs> and I will get it no matter what, uh, yeah. even if I hate it. It looks so. amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just looking at the list of everything that was announced here and like that is the one that i am most curious about like most want to get my hands on and play right now which i can't believe i've become that person in the course of I'm doing, doing this my work podcast. i can ascend reality now yeah. i was an angel this whole time who just wanted you to learn the nature of chocobos you can ascend because of this and then for the next two segments i can ascend mm. because of everything you're gonna say so no i'm yeah i mean the next one was what miles morales oh oh yeah i, I was talking about the next two segments of the podcast uh oh <laughs> but <laughs> right, anyway right. yeah uh hey i'm an employee of marvel entertainment anything i say and do does not reflect the views of my employer um next was marvel spider-man miles morales looks uh, great it looks so good i'm so excited yeah i look i can't really say a lot about this i am thankfully i guess more hands-off with this than i am with other marvel video games so like i know least i would say about this game and what's happening with it um but i will say that that was my first time seeing that stuff uh and it was thrilling I mean, that combat looks beautiful. And also just the game itself looks beautiful. I mean, there there are a couple instances in some of these trailers where it's like ray tracing goes from like a buzzword graphics thing to like, holy shit, you can actually tell the difference it's making. And it is brilliant. Um, And and the combat section on the bridge of this game was that for me was like, I actually can't believe how detailed and beautiful and fluid this thing looks. Yeah, I mean... Spider-Man was our game of the year in 2018 for the show. Yeah. Uh, It was very close to being mine if it wasn't for Celeste. And... I, I think that in my experience reading Marvel comics, Miles is one of my favorite heroes. So like yeah. I, I'm all about this. It's worth noting too that it is also coming out on PS4. I hope it's not a Dragon Age Inquisition scenario where like, oof, it's like barely operable on the older generation. I hope it like at least works and like right. if you want the super fancy version, you can get on PS5. But this is definitely going to be a launch title, I believe. This and uh, the Demon Souls, I think, are confirmed on launch, which is actually. I I read a there's a Kotaku article recently about like what every PlayStation launch lineup looked like. Mm-hmm. And it's not great because <laughs> I, I've said this from the start. PlayStation always comes out like two years too early, you know? Yeah. Like they release it and there are no games for it. This is actually one of the better lineups. Yeah. I think I think when the PS4 came out, the big launch game was Resogun. Yeah. And <laughs> right. PS2 was Tekken Tag, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really bizarre. I I bought, it's worth noting, I bought both the Xbox One and the PS4 at launch last time also, and Mm. like deeply regretted doing that for both (laughs) systems. Um, I think I will regret, I think I will regret it less this time. I think so too. I mean, I've said to many people, I'm like, if it wasn't for doing this show, I would probably wait like 
six months to a year to get a PS5, mm-hmm. but I don't feel as like, I feel like I might actually be happy to get it on launch. Cause it's also like, <laughs> yeah. it's exciting to be part of something. Like I got into the last generation, like two years later, you know? So mm-hmm. like, it'll be cool to be part of it from the beginning and to be able to talk about the games as early as possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very excited for miles. Uh, the next two were Harry Potter and cod. And I literally during this, <laughs> During this nightmare <laughs> announcement, I just watched the trailer to Final Fantasy 16 again. That's like, great. Like, yeah. Without even thinking about it, I'm like, I just want to see that again. I don't like care at all about this. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll make some points real quick just so we can skate over them. Uh, Harry yeah. Potter, Hogwarts Legacy is the name of the game. It's coming out in 2021. Um, it's been rumored for a long time. Uh, our first hint at it existing was some leaked footage like two years ago at this point probably should have announced it and released it then because like boy does the harry potter legacy the 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 harry potter hogwarts legacy uh is big fucked at the moment uh mainly due to jk rowling and uh her anti-trans nonsense just a a real shit person she's turning into um it makes me literally not excited at all about this thing i mean even warner brothers is now making statements that are like jk rowling is not uh, directly involved with this game which means she's indirectly involved in that she's still getting some of your money because it's the harry potter ip so yeah i just skate right by this into cod black ops cold war campaign gameplay uh which was you wanted that pit in your stomach to turn into actual vomit this is what followed yeah man and look I I've brought a Call of Duty game to this show more than once at this point. Like I am generally curious what's going on. They're the they're the best selling games generally. Yeah. You know, like they're huge. Right. Um, I'm generally curious what's happening with the games that are selling as well as the Call of Duty games are. I got Call of Duty Modern Warfare last year and tried to play that campaign and had to turn it off during the first mission because like for the first time ever, I was like, I actually don't think I can physically take the things that are happening in this game. Like they have they have they've gone past like shock and awe and just become like full on like grotesque nightmare shit uh, that are like so removed from actual politics that they're like looping back around and having bad politics, you know, um, right. it's, it's fucking awful. And setting this in the cold war is like wild. Nixon is like a character in it. Like, I just, I just can't yeah, do it. Our, our, uh, a friend of mine sent me a picture of like Nixon in the game. And I thought, I thought he made it as a goof because he does that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is actually the new one. All right. Whatever. Like, like you said, I mean, like, the last Call of Duty I played was was fucking Black Ops 1, like, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that game was, like, you know, uh, there was a point where the series was just so silly that it, it did, you couldn't even take it seriously. Yeah. But like you said, this is a it's a purposeful decision to set it here. And like it, it just crosses a certain line. Yeah, man. I mean, look, you can go all the way back to what is it? Modern Warfare 2 that had the no Russian mission, which was like, right. you know, a big shock and awe, like in yeah. all the papers, like, hey, is this OK that this is in this video game uh, was like really, really horrible. And it was almost like the developers and Activision in general were just like, oh, we can be in the papers if we put something horrible in this video game. Yes, let's, that's the thing. Let's do it all the time it's, now. It's not about and this is sometimes what the argument turns into it's not a, like i i implore all artists to make things challenging you know like yeah. i implore like you can cover any material you want last of us part two is an incredibly harrowing game with a lot of challenging things but it goes back to intention and execution like did you have this in the game for a story reason for for an emotional reason or are you trying to get in fucking headlines you know to yeah. create controversy and that's what it is yeah. it's like you know, what if we did this to piss people off so our 
game's name is in the trending topic yeah. it's just very it's manipulating people's genuine anger at being a you know piece of shit basically <laughs> you know yeah. it's like... I, i'm just thinking back to the modern warfare lead up uh the the recent modern warfare uh lead up and and how a lot of the press events that people went to they walked away saying like yeah they just kept saying that like this game is going to question if war is okay as if the answer isn't just no <laughs> like, <laughs> like right. you, could, you could just like load the game up the campaign is like is war bad and then somebody looks at the camera and goes yes and it's like okay go play multiplayer now have um, you played three houses <laughs> yeah, right like i, I don't right. know i what i will say call of duty modern warfare multiplayer incredible uh, uh, an incredible yeah, game very arcadey, like, very goofy very fun but the campaign was so bad i had to turn it off we're not trying to fucking like gatekeep things that are popular if anything we really try to examine why for real and 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 Call of Duty like should should like there's a place for that kind of game, but they're like abusing that place, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you can just make a fun shooter, and it's it's weird because I think like there, there's a whole you know subsection of of gamers on Twitter that are like no politics, I don't want politics in my game, and it's like yeah. th- this is this is it's a shit. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like I don't know, it's just exhausting. Yeah, it's just no, exhausting. I, th- I think that I think that's the case, right? Like there's a group yeah. of people who say they don't want politics in games. And then the things that they buy are Call of Duty, and they're going to buy Cyberpunk 2077, and right. like all of those things are politics. War is politics. Uh, the the Cyberpunk is literally like an exploration of politics, like taken to the nth degree. You know, like I don't know. It's it's just wild to me. Uh, let's move on to other stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know how much I want to say about almost anything else that happened in terms of like game announcements here with the exception of demon souls remastered is there anything else you wanted to touch on that was in this uh, list i'm curious about death loop still i think that that was a really fun Looks presentation awesome. yeah like i think uh that will go into something we we're going to talk about much more later of this like narrative idea of restarting yeah. you know yeah like it, it really just boils down to like how fun the game is because i'm not like a huge fps guy mm-hmm. as evidenced by our last 20 minutes talking yeah. uh but you know uh so that's exciting but yeah the, the the other big one is Demon Souls, and of course, um, sequel to God of War, which I don't truly care too much about, but I know that's a big deal for a lot of people. I completely forgot that was in there. You're totally right. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they announced uh, God of War to Ragnarok, um, which is a game that's going to come out. I mean, I don't know. There was there was a logo for it. You know, it was very much the Nintendo announcing Metroid Prime Four. You know, kind of situation where it's like, <laughs> here's a logo and here's the release date, um, and like all of right. that could change. Uh, even the logo and the name and and the release date could all change. I do want to mention with Deathloop though, real quick. If if it ends up being a first person shooter roguelike, that gets to the thing that we were talking about with Chris Plant on that one episode, um, where he was talking about why Prey Moon Crash is so great. It's like here's a AAA studio making a roguelike, you know, with AAA money. If Deathloop is that, then be very excited, very excited. Yeah, I love the I love like everything about it. It is a matter of like, am I gonna like playing it? You yeah. know, that's yeah. sort of where I'm at with it. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Demon Souls, incredible, also a launch title. Weirdly, yeah, that um, that trailer was literally just like. The so, beginning. Somebody playing Demon Souls, going and killing like every low level like skeleton that can't fight back, you know, like who who does like an attack by lunging their bones at you and not by hitting you with a weapon uh, and just wiping them out for like a, an extended period of time. And I was just thinking to myself, like, if this is all it is, that's actually enough for me because it's so incredible to just look at how pretty this thing is. And then it ended with like, here's a big boss fight and then a super cut of a bunch of other things that happen later in the game. Um, yeah, it is stunning this game beautiful yeah and this is a game that like even my friends who are the biggest souls fans who have like platinum sekiro and have like <laughs> done speed runs of bloodborne like haven't played demon souls yeah like 
I feel like this is one. I think you said it like it was dated when Dark Souls One came out. Like it was definitely yeah. like them figuring out or FromSoft figuring out how to do this type of game. So like this is a case where I th- we we actually were just talking with our friend about sort of remasters and remakes. And this is a case where, like, this is a game that should be remade. Yes. Because there's, I would only imagine a great story there and a great vibe there that should be recreated mm-hmm. uh, to be in a way that, like, has online functionality and can be played. Yeah. I, so it's called Demon Souls Remastered. I am hoping that it's leaning a little more towards remake than remaster. Just in terms I mean, of, it like... it has to be. I mean, I, I, I know it is, for, like, a ground-up remake of the game. I just mean, like... I hope I hope functionally it feels as feature rich as like a Demon Souls or or a Bloodborne or something does because like when you go back and play the reason that it felt dated when you went back and played Demon Souls after playing Dark Souls or Dark Souls 2 in that like era was like you could just tell that there were a bunch of ideas there that hadn't been seen to fruition until Dark Souls happened. Um, and I would really like to see Demon Souls feel a little bit more modern from a mechanic and gameplay perspective. It looks modern. We've seen that. But I want it to yeah. feel modern, too. And I really hope that no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, this is the same team that remade Shadow of the Colossus, which like you don't have as much of that issue there because that game was so like, yeah, so ahead, ahead of its, its time, time yeah. and concept that like it was just sort of, like, here's a prettier version of it. Basically. And that was enough. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I try this type of game is like, so, uh, it's so like everywhere and so beloved that like, I think they know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, I think you even mentioned like, you wouldn't take this on if you weren't like willing to potentially like evoke the wrath of hardcore souls fans, yes. yeah. which is, which is maybe the worst thing to receive. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I'm I'm very excited for that. I mean, honestly, like Miles and Demon Souls is almost enough for me to want to get a PS5 as soon as possible. Yeah. Um maybe this next thing will also will also add to that list. Oh, okay. Uh, um they announced a new thing that I was very curious about when they announced it, and I, I was very hyped about, it, and then I heard more about it and kind of like leveled me out a little bit. Uh but it's called the PlayStation Plus Collection. So uh for those of you who are maybe Xbox people or like PC people, don't even have a console. Um, there's a thing called PlayStation Plus. You subscribe to it. It's essentially like, you know, getting you access to play things online on PlayStation. But every month they have two games that are free, at least two games. For a while, it was more. For a while, it was two PS4 games, I think a PS3 game and a PS Vita game. And then obviously that stuff got phased out. Um, so now you get two games every month for PlayStation Plus. They're adding a new piece to this, which is there's going to be a group of games that are always available to you as long as you subscribe to PlayStation Plus. Um, and it's the PlayStation Plus collection. And it's essentially like all the first party PlayStation stuff. Um, not all, but a big chunk of the PlayStation uh, first party stuff, specifically PlayStation 4. Um, yeah. There's so God of War, there's Persona 5. Uh, Infamous Uncharted is in 4. there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of great games. I mean, stuff that I already have, but I think like that, that seems to me like if you're, if you're getting, if you're getting back into Sony, you know, if you're getting a PS5 and you maybe didn't get a PS4, that's yes. for you. It is. You so as, as we were talking about with the Xbox saying like, the Xbox is the launch console for people who didn't have an Xbox. If you were an Xbox person and you're going into the next generation buying a PlayStation, the PlayStation Plus collection is like your ticket in to what you yeah. missed out on last gen. Um, it, it, I think the most recent thing in there, if I'm not mistaken, is I want to say Days Gone, which is that like motorcycle zombie game, which I'm very excited to be able to play without like paying full price for it personally, because it didn't <laughs> sound great. And people I've talked to who played it said it wasn't super great, but I will try it because it looked really interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I initially assumed like, oh my God, PlayStation figured out a way to make their own version of Game Pass and it's going to come out with the PlayStation 5. 
dive in. It turns out that's very much not what this is. Um, I have a quote from from a game industry business or I forget what it's called. It's I always forget the name of this blog. But anyway, here's an interview with Jim Ryan, who is the uh, head of PlayStation at the moment. But this is this is the delineation between this and Game Pass. Uh, For us, having a catalog of games is not something that defines a platform, Ryan says. Our pitch, as you've heard, is new games, great games. We've had this conversation before. We're not going to go down the road of putting new releases uh, into a subscription model. These games cost many millions of dollars, well over $100 million uh, to develop. We just don't see that as sustainable. We want to make the games bigger and better and hopefully at some stage more persistent. Let's uh, put a pin in that. So putting these into a subscription model on day one for us just doesn't make any sense. For others in a different situation, it might make sense, but for us, it doesn't. We want to expand and grow our existing ecosystem and putting new games into a subscription model just doesn't sit with that, which is very interesting. So this is very literally like we just took a bunch of the PS4 exclusives and put them on PS5 uh, in, in like a bundle that you can get just by you know paying for the online access. It doesn't mean we're going to be constantly adding new things to this. It doesn't mean EA Play is going to get folded into this, you know, the same way it is with Game Pass. Like, it is just this collection of games. I see it weirdly similar to what Nintendo is doing with... Yeah, uh, with the arcades. Yes, yeah. with, the, with the NES and uh, Super Nintendo online thing, where, like, every once in a while, they might be like, hey, guess what? Here's a new thing. Here's a new game yeah. on here. Like, eventually, I'm sure they'll be like, here's Last of Us Part 2. Isn't that exciting? Now it's part of the PlayStation Plus collection. Um, <laughs> on the Switch, in the SNES <laughs> <laughs> um but i think i think that's really interesting uh one of the things that i just wanted to point at is uh we want to make games bigger and better and hopefully at some stage more persistent that indicates to me that they're trying to make something along the lines of like a destiny marvel's avengers like division mm-hmm. as like a as a first party triple a like sony studios thing which i think will be wild if they try and do that but anyway yeah, i wonder if that's even the future to be completely like i mean maybe that's just how i feel but i i just feel I'm like so with you keep going yeah that <laughs> that is a very like this is a fresh idea in 2014 thing mm-hmm. and like you know i don't know because here it sounds like i mean compare what we just said about xbox to what jim ryan is saying here and jim ryan basically said no eight different ways in that <laughs> yeah, interview yeah. He was like, we're not going to do that. It doesn't make sense to do that. And that's why we're not doing that because we're not going to do that. Here's Persona 5. Right. You know, like, uh, <laughs> I, I just feel like the Series S and the Series X have the potential to change the experience itself, uh, to change how games are even monetized with the thing like Game Pass working so well for the consumer mm-hmm. and hopefully for other parties. And that's like my big hang up still is like, who's getting cut out of this deal? Cause it's too good. Yeah. You know? Uh, but that aside, I think like the games as service thing, like I think can be a really great thing if it if that's the intention of the product but to default to it is the same way you know i mean you don't have to look too far back like you know multiplayer used to be that and you can see that even in sony's first party stuff like uncharted 4 shouldn't have had multiplayer it's weirdly kind of fun it's great yeah but like <laughs> it feels like some higher up was like oh we need multiplayer to make x more million so i can get an extension right. in my yacht last of us one yeah. also had multiplayer yeah Real and bizarre. like so i feel like there are just trends that that equal dollar signs i'm not trying to sound too shallow but it just seems like you know the at least with destiny one say we will about both those games but at least with that there was sort of like a new idea at play Mm -hmm. you know um and i just think that while you always have to be considering the business side of things to stay afloat as a publisher and as a you know video game company it's just like it's almost disappointing to hear because sony you know if you look at where they're actually making their money it seems to be off of the off of the stuff that's like the auteur exclusives you know Mm -hmm. 
they're they're making money off of just cool ideas, and that's ultimately. And maybe I'm being optimistic, but it's ultimately at least what I am coming in being excited about is new ideas, new stories, new formats of stories. Yeah, just to try to make everything a games of service is not going to work because, like, look at Anthem, look at even you know other games. Like, I mean, Marvel's Avengers is doing well right now, but like, who knows? Like, if that's like a safe, it doesn't seem like it's as safe of a bet as a lot of companies seem to think it is. Right. The the other the flip side of this is that it could also be something along the lines of like a Fortnite or a Battle Royale thing. Right. You know, like there right. there are a lot of ways that games can be quote unquote persistent. And I'm just very curious because as we've talked about many times, the the Sony auteur take on video games is that it's like a third person over the shoulder uh single player experience. You know, and I'm just very interested to see what they consider to be their triple A version of a persistent online game. Um yeah. or a thing that's constantly being updated. I have no idea what that's gonna look like. And as exciting as that is, I'm I'm kind of with you in that I have a little bit of the doom and gloom about it. Like I know this is a show all about optimism generally, but like there's just something about the way that all of this is phrased where it's like, here's all the reasons that we think Game Pass could never work on PlayStation. Um and also we want to make games that are online like always now and, and games yeah. of service stuff. Like that makes me feel like and we said this before, but PlayStation is like so resting on their laurels from having completely dominated the PS4 generation that they're going into the PS5 generation saying we could just do that again and it's going to work, you know? Um, Whereas Xbox is taking the time, I feel, to like really take a look at what the future could be. You know, one of the things we didn't even mention about Game Pass is that they're including xCloud in it, which means you can play all of your Xbox games and like just pick up your saves from wherever you are on any device. Uh, Currently not iOS for stupid Apple reasons, but you know, you could also you could like pick up your Android phone and hook up uh, a, a, an Xbox controller to it and continue to play Morrowind, for example, or something. You know, that's you really want me to play Morrowind, don't you? I'll bring uh, no, it. No, I really want to play Morrowind. <laughs> OK, let's do it. Um, 2021, baby. Anyway, that's that's innovation. That's new. You know, that's that's taking the idea of Xbox and saying, like, this isn't a console anymore. This is a service, which is very much in line with what Microsoft is doing across the board with all of their stuff. Generally, you know, like uh, Microsoft Word isn't like a thing you buy in a box at an Office Depot anymore. It's a thing that you go to like word.office.com and use it. You know, like that yeah. that is what Microsoft wants everyone to be doing under under their umbrellas, you know, and this is Xbox's way of doing that. PlayStation is like, nope, we're we're a fucking box and we're under your TV. And like, that's, yeah. that's kind of the extent of, of what their thinking has been, which I, I find to be a little bit of a bummer comparatively like that. That is I not agree. getting me super thrilled about next gen on the plus side. They have the exclusive, like they have great exclusives yeah. and that's the thing that's propelling them. And that is what worked for them in, in the last generation and what will actually take them into next gen. But there's gotta be some kind of innovation down the line for them to like maintain the lead they have currently. Not that this is a fucking console war. Cause again, they're all trying to do different things. The console war is a weird construct from gamefacts.com forums in, in the nineties. <laughs> like, it's all very silly um but i do see this as like a oh yeah the idea of game pass is very silly and they threw it out just because it's what their competitor is doing which like is a thing that companies do all the time is like like blockbuster saying we're not going to buy netflix you know and then eventually netflix is like hey blockbuster should we buy you that kind of shit that's what this feels like to me is like we're going to look back at this interview in five years and be like oh man you should have done it I agree. I mean, my excitement for PS5 is all about the the various third-party developers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, my excitement is Final Fantasy 16 and, uh, you know, Miles Morales, not yeah. what is the PS5 actually going to be, you know? 
uh, to quote David Bowie, there's a great interview with him where he, I don't even know what the question is because the, the video is just his response. Who knows if, if a question was even asked? He might have just shown up and said <laughs> this. Um, but he's, he's basically like the death. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine um, Dr. Manhattaning into the room. <laughs> he just says like, in terms of like artistic inspiration, he's like, you should never really feel like you're in the right field. He's like, you should always feel mm. like you're taking on a little bit more than you're ready for. And that's when you're going to make the coolest stuff. Yeah. He's like, if you feel comfortable in the field you're in, you're probably not in the right field. Mm. Um, and that's obviously take that with some context, but I do think he's onto something. And that kind of goes into uh, other, other quotes of creative types like him often say like figuring out what works and stopping there is like the opposite of progress, yes, you know? Yes. Uh, totally. And that seems like very much what Sony is not only doing, but like cementing themselves on. And I think it's going to bite them in the foot. Like as much as I love the PS4, it's all thanks to the developers. They've just sort of hoarded, you yes. know? Uh, so I think that, you know, them being, we got to make games more persistent is a dated idea. I agree. Um, even, you know, even though it's a recent thing, I just don't, I just, that's just my take. But I am going to get both consoles. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like at the yeah. end of the day, I mean, but also we are so outside the like normal consumer kind of zeitgeist. I mean, th this is a thing that we talked about a little bit on uh, the bonus episode that's going to come out later in the month um, about the Super Mario 3D All-Stars collection. But like the people who are online complaining about the fact that they're emulated games and not like running natively on the Switch. That's not a thing that most people who play that game are going to care about, notice, whatever. You know, that's a thing that you just are upset about because you read a headline about it on on some random website or a tweet or something you know um yeah that's kind of how i feel a little bit about this playstation stuff is like you and i are so fucking in the weeds that like we're reading into this from like a games industry like we're on a podcast talking about it yeah for most people like they're just excited to play the spider-man game and they're gonna buy a ps5 for that and that's fine. yeah i mean i'm kind of also there too i just think i think we're also just invested in what cool stuff is on the horizon yes. And it just feels like Nintendo and Microsoft are more invested in that for better and for worse. You know, yeah. you can fall on your face too with that, but there's more potential there than just doing the same thing. I agree. Yeah. Uh, we, so I guess to wrap up this part, um, <laughs> prices, the digital edition, $400 disc, ah! disc edition, $500. Uh, ow, ow. It's coming out November 19th um, and pre-orders were supposed to start the day after. And then they didn't. Yeah. Which like I got malware instead. Yeah. I mean, you already talked about it. I tried and failed to get a pre-order multiple, multiple times. I technically maybe have a pre-order with Amazon. Maybe not. Uh, I've gotten weird emails about it that say maybe I don't have a pre-order anymore. Yeah. It's nonsense. You know, it's wild. <laughs> Um, I don't even know what to say about it at this point. So many people have written articles about it. It's the pre-order shit was wild. The pricing is fine. It's whatever. You know, I don't. It's expected. Yeah. I mean, there were some rumors that it was going to be like $800. Like it's it's a price <laughs> of a new console. Yeah. For better and for worse. Uh, but I think that like, I mean, man, if, if this is just me unathered steven no show to do ordering video games online i would be so put off by this experience i would just get an xbox and call it you know yeah like, i think me too truthfully. very yeah very truly i think i probably also would have just been like yeah let me just go with xbox for a bit and see how it feels yeah you know the same way every once in a while i'm like let me switch off my iphone and go to android for a bit like let me get a cheap android phone used off yeah. eBay or something and then use that for a while like that's kind of how i feel about the xbox thing it's like whatever i'll just yeah. be an xbox I mean, person for a little bit it's dystopian that microsoft 
Microsoft is weirdly the underdog, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I all that to say, I am actually very excited for this generation because there's the most unknowns in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we're kind of throwing a little shade on Sony here and there, and like we're expecting, we're hoping that you know Nintendo, Microsoft deliver on their goals. But like the fact that I don't know what's coming is exciting. Whereas last generation, it felt like okay, we're gonna get like eight more Assassin's Creeds, and I'm <laughs> gonna have to spend four hundred dollars on it. You yeah, know? like that's I don't feel that way anymore. Which um, I think it's also worth noting. I think the Ubisoft stuff is also it's gonna launch on Xbox. All right, it's like launch day stuff for oh, Xbox. Yeah, so like yeah, yeah. the new Assassin's Creed. I think Watch Dogs is also going to be um, out there. I uh, we've talked about this off the show. Oh, I haven't mentioned it on the show yet, but like I'm so done with Ubisoft. I don't care anymore yeah. about their games, literally at all. Um, I never played Assassin's Creed, so I'm good. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I even even if I had, I, I'm with you for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, I could go into it sometime, but you know, just Google some stuff. You'll find some nonsense. Um, anyway, that's th- those are the new consoles. Um, I, I'm kind of with you where I think if I wasn't doing this podcast, I would probably just get an Xbox. Um, but also, as a person who works at Marvel Entertainment, I do feel pretty obligated to pick up Spider-Man Miles Morales when it comes out and play it. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm going to do there that. There are sure hits. It's the sure thing. You know, it's the safe harbor versus the new frontier, basically. Yeah. You know? um, like- it is. It is definitely worth noting. I mean, th- this was not surprising to me but i did see it at like the top of many uh news like gaming sites uh the day that they announced it but the ps5 will not be backwards compatible with P- playstations one two or three um oh oh that's that's not surprising yeah How about four is it four or is it exclusive is it like selective games it is backwards compatible with as they say 99 percent of playstation 4 games which makes me wonder like what the one percent i can't play gravity be. rush 2 on my ps5 yeah Come i'm on. just waiting for them to be like you can't play last of us 2 sorry <laughs> <laughs> i can't play divinity uh, original sin 2 the only game that doesn't work is Fortnite. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why that is. I mean, that's I kind of expected that to be honest, so like I'm not too disappointed. But it's still like, what's to lose, you know? Yeah, they tried releasing some PS2 stuff on PS4. Do you remember that when they were like kind of toying around with the idea of releasing PS2 stuff? I think a, yeah. I think a lot of people don't remember that because it didn't sell very well because they didn't really port a lot of the games that people wanted. So I have actually seen some interviews with I think it was Jim, with Jim Ryan about that where he's like, yeah, we tried doing it nobody bought it it was like well you didn't port the games people yeah, wanted but you only let me play wwf smackdown just bring it yeah i didn't want to play that <laughs> on my ps4 yeah you, you, tiger woods pj tour 2005 <laughs> like that's not the game that we wanted i can play final fantasy 10 2 and a wrestling game what is this yeah uh really really bizarre 10 2 is pretty fun actually um anyway. but it is interesting to see sony be like yeah so few people use this that we actually don't think it's worth like the development costs and xbox is like this is our whole strategy um, yeah really yeah. Really, like, totally opposite this time. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, the consoles are weird and they're coming soon. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about Nintendo One now or do you want to take a quick break first? Let's take a break and we'll come back and do all the Nintendo stuff. Cool. Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the Nintendo Partner Direct that happened last week. Um, specifically, I think just like a couple things from it. We don't really need to talk about all of it, but um, yeah. there are a couple things that are just like shocking. Um, number one, Monster Hunter Rise was the beginning. Mm. Uh, it's a new Monster Hunter game. It's Switch exclusive. Uh, it allows you to swing around on a web like Spider-Man or maybe even Nathan Drake in Uncharted 4. There's a big wolf 
that you can ride on. Uh, it has multiplayer, which is, I'm very happy about, um, and seems to be uh, kind of like Monster Hunter World, a seamless open world kind of situation. Uh, no yeah. loading screens between sections, things like that. Um, you can climb up mountains, kind of has a Breath of the Wild vibe to it in a weird way. Looks awesome. I mean, it, locale wise, it has kind of like a um, kind of like a Japan, almost Sekiro adjacent uh, aesthetic to it. It looks awesome. I mean, it's more Monster Hunter. I think the big question that you and I will probably have is like how much Monster Hunter World inspiration is there here yeah. in terms of mechanics? Yeah, because it's been a series. I mean, we did a bonus episode about Monster Hunter World, I think last May, four months ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are both big fans of that game. That was my first game. And that that game has a very loyal, I don't want to say cult because it always has a weird ring to it, but it has a very dedicated following. Um, and it's yeah. historically been a kind of obtuse game to get into mm-hmm. in that even like players have taken upon themselves the role to act as a mentor, like <laughs> due to the lack of tutorial, people would like literally just find new players and be like, Hey, follow me. I'll teach you how to do this. Yes. Which is like, there's a beauty to that, but worlds did a much better job. Um, like letting you know how to play it <laughs> and letting you discover things on your own still. I, I mean, I, I remember, I can't remember if it was IGN or something else, but there was a video with two players. One was an experienced Mon- Monster Hunter player and one was brand new. And the experienced player, she was like, yeah, this is still great. Like, this is not like dumbed down at all. Like, yeah. if anything, this is doing what we all kind of wished was there for a while. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it would be a shame to not follow the lead of that game. I do. I do think that Monster Hunter is in a really exciting place where like worlds brought in a lot of new players and this could do the same. And like, it seems like it's in a very different direction than world as well. So yeah. like, it could be really exciting. And this is, a, this is, a, this has been kind of like, like, I feel like for a lot of series, they might like rest on one system for a while. Monster Hunter has kind of flirted with Sony and Nintendo for a long time. I'm like they've been on both. Steven, I'm so curious to see if this game comes out on switch and is like awesome. And people like, demand that it gets ported to consoles but instead of that they get monster hunter world 2 like i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if there is monster hunter world 2 in development for pc and xbox and ps4 right now uh and that they will never see rise um but that also the switch will never see monster hunter world like so you get it's like a fate scenario it's two separate tracks i mean like at one point for a while uh, as we've talked about uh, in in very early episodes, but Nintendo is split up between handheld and console divisions of their developers, yeah. um, and then they merge them together when the Switch happened because obviously it's just one thing. I could see a situation in which the Monster Hunter teams like never made that merge, and and they still are a a separate uh, handheld and console division because. There were some Monster Hunter games that only came out on on handhelds for a long time. There were just yeah, 3DS exclusives 3DS. or PSP exclusives or whatever. And there were some that only came out on consoles like Monster Hunter Try um, on Wii U, things like that. So yeah. I can see that happening. But excited. I mean, we're both big Monster Hunter fans. It's a great series if you haven't checked it out. Yeah. Again, I think I think our Monster Hunter bonus episode does a pretty good job explaining like what it is. But it's a really, it's a much more, um, it scratches the itch of a Souls game, but it's much more emotionally supportive. You know, yes. it's much more like, you <laughs> it's know. It's happy you're okay, there. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's going to be a big boss, but like we're happy. Yeah. We're happy you're here. You're not, you're not like a forgotten God's like left finger, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Yeah. <laughs> 
That was a gross <laughs> analogy, but that's kind of how they describe things. Yeah. Uh, so Monster Hunter Rise is coming out March 26th, 2021. Um, so kind of soon. It's exciting. Um, I think March, uh, late March in 2021 is going to be a very interesting time for the Switch because that's when 3D All-Stars is no longer on sale. That is when the rumored second Switch might be either announced or released. So I'll be very interested to see if Monster Hunter Rise is secretly uh, kind of a Trojan horse for new Switch technology. I also feel like we're, we're really breaking, I think, out of, especially in a, in a, I don't want to point directly to COVID, but I feel like historically games used to be like at the end of the year, all the big stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. And now it's just sort of like whenever, you yeah. know, like I feel yeah. like looking at this year, you know, I think everyone's kind of waiting like, and that's a lot of people getting mad at Nintendo. If like, where's the end of the year game? And it's like one, not every year is going to have a breath of the wild. Just know that it takes a while <laughs> to make this shit and yeah. you're not going to get a historic event every year Two, you know, I, I think that, if you look at what's come out this year, it's kind of overwhelming. Like in our in our two and a half, three years of doing this show, this has been the most eventful year, weirdly, for games. Like yes. we it's it's we've like we've also covered the most due to everything, but like it's also been like a lot of heavy hitters all doing really different things. And yeah. I and I and I wouldn't be surprised if like in the future, especially with stuff like Game Pass coming out, there isn't that like business model of like, oh, it's it's the day before Thanksgiving, the game that sale at GameStop, you know, like all that's changing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so totally. like for better and for worse, like I think that we're much more like I could see a world where it's more about what publishers do you follow? What developers do you follow? When is their shit coming out? Kind of like musicians. We're like, yeah, there, there's like a trend of like the summer where like all the albums drop, but like usually it's just what bands do you like and when is their stuff coming out? You know, yeah. like that's that to me. And I mean, I think a game we're talking about later is a good example. We're just like fucking September 20th. It comes out and is like a huge deal you know so like i'm i i'm more excited at at a kind of chaotic structure like that rather than like what's the christmas game okay i bought it (laughs) you know yeah um yeah I'm, i'm totally there with you i don't even have anything to add i think i think you encapsulated that perfectly i nailed it you did you did nail it um, thank you they also announced monster hunter stories 2 i didn't play the first one this one looks good uh, it's a, yeah, this is much more switch energy, you know, yeah. kinda, I almost thought it was like a, a different series at first. It looked like, um, mm. like a trials of mana or something. A lot of people it said it been. looks like breath of the wild artistically, it um, yeah, which it I, has its style. I mean, not, not mechanically, but art- artistically at least. Yeah. yeah. Cell shaded and kind of Miyazaki inspired. What yeah. I loved about this event was that they announced monster hunter rise and monster hunter stories too. And then the like Nintendo event guy uh, came on the mic and was like, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get started. It was like, what do you mean let's get started? I've yeah, already seen two things I want to buy. Like a weird wrestling game in SMT4 and that was it. And now you're now you're saying that's how this one began? Yeah. Okay, let's do that it. That wasn't even the beginning. That was the amuse-bouche for what was coming. <laughs> um, Here we go. So anyway, uh, they, here's the thing. I don't really have a whole lot to say about a lot of the stuff they announced. Um, Fitness Boxing 2, I've heard a lot of great things about Fitness Boxing 1. There's a sequel coming out. Um, Ball and Wonderworld looks amazing. Really yeah. excited for that to come out. Uh, need more information. Wasn't a whole lot from this trailer that like really kind of sold me on it, but I am already sold on it anyway. There's a cool like first person snowy wilderness survival game called The Long Dark. Looks really cool. Really interesting. Empire of Sin, which I think you were go- joking about is like, I don't know, XCOM meets like civilization, but it takes place in Chicago and you're like killing Al Capone by poisoning him. Been there. <laughs> been there um rune factory 5 people love the rune factory games there's the fifth ones coming to switch uh cool cool stuff there's cool stuff in this 
direct. Yeah. People were excited about some of these things. But then there were a bunch of heavy hitters that were like out of nowhere shocking wild shit. I, I would say I would say two in particular. Let's start with the first one, uh, or let's start with the, the second one, I guess, which was the last announcement, which was Ori 2, um, yeah. which was an Xbox One exclusive, uh, is now coming out to Switch. Uh, is out on Switch already. came out right after the Direct. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, I had to... I had to uh, put it off because of everything else coming out right now, but um, I'm very excited to play this game. I really liked the first one, which is also on Switch, and I've heard only great things with the second one, so that is going to be great in my pre-Xbox having life. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you. I was very surprised of the two of us that you were the one who really latched on to the Ori, or I guess Ori 1 specifically. Um, I tried playing it on Game Pass and was like, I liked it, but kind of didn't really stick with it, and I think you really played a bunch of it and are looking forward to yeah. Yeah, I am. I don't know, man. I mean, I think it it definitely is. I mean, it's beautiful. Like that's that's noticeable right away. Obviously, like the aesthetic of both games is incredible and is very much like this is a trend, I think. And it's easy to get lost in the pile. But there's sort of this like, uh, you know, this is like the splash art Hollow Knight. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. the kind of like wide eyed character in a gloomy natural world. But like this is much more kind of like concept art foresty, you know, whereas yeah. Hollow Knight is a little bit more Binding of Isaac in some ways. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I really liked... I mean, I haven't played... I played a lot of the first one, but I haven't finished it. But I, I like their take on a Metroidvania. Because it's another genre that's like very popular right now. Yeah. Almost to the point of like burnout. And I feel like Ori is more interested in the platforming elements. And they I think they do it pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am excited to hear what you have to say about Ori 2. And I would like to tell myself that one day I'll go back and play more Ori 1 and like finally click with it. I think it'll happen eventually. Yeah, um, it's a good game. It's I mean, I understand like we have to play a lot of stuff and like even outside of conscious decision making some things just get lost in the pile you know absolutely but, yeah totally but it's it's a great series if you're looking for something that's like kind of whimsical uh and exciting and just a fun platformer it's good it's a yeah. good time um the other thing that they announced that came out day and date was hades the super giant roguelike which you and i have been very excited to play and talk about yeah dude Hey, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Hades later this episode. So much more to say, but this is a game that we have both been excited about for a while. It's a game that a lot of people have messaged both of us about being like, this (laughs) is such an Into the Aether game. Like, this is so your shit. And we're like, we know, we know, we know it's early access on PC. It's our one blind spot. We can't play it yet. Yeah. And it's been in early access, I think, for three years, like for a while. Has it been that long? At least since 2018. Oh my it's God. at least been two years, but Fuck. it's been in early access for a long time. And this is 1.0. This is the full release. And it came to Switch. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes to other systems later, but oh, right yeah, now it's on PC and Switch. And honestly, I will say this, it plays great on Switch, handheld and docked. It's a dream. Yeah, uh, it's really good. It is. I'm going to say it now in case you don't listen to the whole episode. Hades is fucking incredible. Yeah. Like, I want to really just say that. Like, we talk about games we like all the time on the show. Hades is like Red Alert, three houses level good. Like, <laughs> yeah, just if you don't want to hear us talk, just fucking get it. It's $20 right now. You will be happy. I don't even have to give you nuance. I usually try to be like, if you like this, you like that. No, no, no. Just get Hades. Trust me. Okay. One more time. Let's move on. But Hades is out. And what was the other one? I'm sorry. I was just staying quiet because there was a truck backing up outside my house. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hades, I, know, I just, I just want to. Uh, sorry. I had to I had to stay quiet because that, that beeping was happening while you were uh, talking. But like, <laughs> I am so on your level with this. I mean, it's a game that you and I have wanted to check out for a long time. I think you specifically because you love Supergiant stuff. 
I'm a big um, fan of Super Giant, yeah. Yeah, uh, and me specifically because I just like I want to play every roguelike that that is good, <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah. And I also have always wanted to love a Super Giant game as much as uh, everybody else does. Um, I try all of them, and I have never like really, really clicked with one. And uh, man, first like five minutes of Hades, you're gonna understand why yeah. Steve and I are already so effusive about it. Yeah, and if you want more details and nuance, don't worry. This episode will probably be eight hours long and most of it will be Hades. So more on that later. But uh, yeah, the Nintendo Direct was a lot of fun. Was there anything else? What was the other big? It was Ori 2 and Hades. Those are the big ones. Yeah, those are the big ones, really. Cool. Um, another another giant event. We're overwhelmed. This is like excessive, bloated with vice, Brendan and Steven. You know, this is the energy of this episode. Yeah. Right? New generation, uh, new stuff happening. Recently, uh, and segueing into the games we're talking about uh, this episode. Oh, well, more on Hades later. Don't worry. Splunky 2 came out, which is like... Final Fantasy VII Remake, maybe times 10 energy for you. And for <laughs> me, a recent Splunky convert, also a huge deal. You've been streaming it a lot. We played it together, which we will definitely do more of. You know, and talking about roguelikes, this is sort of like, you know, the roguelike. This is the, yeah. the, the definitive blueprint for a lot of roguelikes, for a lot of games in general. And the sequel came out, and we've been playing a lot of it. And, and I give the floor to you, my friend, because this is your moment. Yeah. This is your... This is your on my own, the ladies of lunch. I want to hear it. Let's I, do it. I will. I will uh, lead this segment off by saying yes. I'm I'm streaming this game uh, constantly uh, on the Into the Aether Twitch channel. Um, that is twitch.tv slash Into the Cast. I've been doing it every uh, weekday morning at eight a.m. and will continue to do so um, for as long as humanly possible. Um, if you can't catch those, you can uh, find them on YouTube. Uh, all those links are at intothecast.online, so you don't have to remember them. Just click on the link. It's in the show notes. But yeah, come join me. It's really fun. Uh, I'm, it's, a lo- it's a blast. I love your I love your morning tech talk over Splunky. <laughs> I'm having the best. It's honestly something I've wanted to do for a very long time is play Splunky on stream daily um, and just like watch the the uh, watch the skill level increase very slowly over time uh, per stream. And uh, I'm hoping that we can chart a path to success together. Uh, so anyway, uh, join me there. Uh, yeah. So look, we talked about Splunky on our bonus episode with Chris Plant. Splunky, I think, is maybe one of the greatest games of all time. Maybe maybe the um, but, you know, I don't know. I like I like a, a lot of games. But Spelunky is a game that people point to and say, this thing is perfect. There is not a thing that you can improve about Spelunky. And that's what people have been saying about it for a long time. It is also worth noting that Spelunky, the version that you have played and that I played and that most people have played, is technically in itself a sequel uh, to Spelunky Classic, which was a uh, free game that was available um, a, a while before Spelunky HD came out on Xbox Live Arcade. Um, and that game also was like critically applauded, like this thing is amazing. And then Spelunky HD came out and people were like, I can't believe it got better. Spelunky 2 is a thing that I have been personally like excited about and also nervous about um, yeah. because it's it's a classic move we've talked about this before but like you're beyonce you just made lemonade why do you make another album after that you know like yeah you know it, it's it's an album that everybody points to and is like this might be a perfect piece of music like a perfect collection of music you made a whole fucking movie that goes along with it like how do you one-up this maybe you don't maybe that's the answer is you just yeah. put it down and you say i'm done um yet full circle back to david bowie you know <laughs> stopping yes. when you feel comfortable is the opposite of creation right you know so keep going and just Change like 
just like Beyonce has gone on to make many hit albums after Lemonade, everybody was waiting to see what Derek Yu, the creator of Splunky, was going to do next. Um, and he's dipped in and out to a couple different projects. Uh, but the the big one that everybody was curious about, the the main thing that's like, I am Derek Yu and here is my next big game, turned out to be Splunky 2, of all things, uh, which to me is kind of terrifying because, again, it's, it's perfection. How do you change it? You know, when I play Splunky 1, there are zero things that I think I would want to change about it, you know, and and zero things that I would want improved or or um, kind of altered in any way. It's 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 you know, it's it's perfect. How do you change perfection? So Splunky 2 comes out um, and I start playing it and immediately when playing Splunky 2, you start to notice things that should have been improved in Splunky 1. This game that everybody thought was perfect, that was reviewed as 10 out of 10s across the board when it came out. Suddenly it's like, oh yeah, it should have been this the whole time. Yeah. It should have been this. Or like, yeah, oh, oh, this enemy does actually add a really interesting new dynamic to the opening levels that like would have made Splunky 1 better had that happened. Um, Even down to the fact that visually, I think Splunky 2 feels more cohesive cohesive and interesting than Spelunky 1. The music is now dynamic and changes depending on, is it your first run of the day? Uh, what, what, uh, like doors are you near even, you know, what enemies are in this place? Like the music is now turkeys. Are there turkeys present? There are so many little shifts that happen in Splunky 2. I mean, it is a game that, like, I personally thought, as a, as nervous as I was about it, Derek, you wouldn't be making it if he didn't have reason to. Yeah. And and he sure did have reason to. I mean, playing that thing is like, is like I've, I've all often talked about Splunky 1 as like a game design school, essentially. Like, you could just play Splunky 1 and know everything there is to know about, like, making a video game. Splunky 2 is like... Like almost the critical response and the critical study of Splunky one and coming out the other end and making something better, having learned from it. And that is like thrilling to play. It is wild that this game exists and is immediately better than the first one. It's shocking. Yeah. I mean, from my angle, it's like I only just started playing Splunky one. Like I, I streamed right. a bit. We talked about it with Chris and uh, jumping into two. I also feel that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't have the kind of second nature. I haven't seen even a third of Splunky one, mm-hmm. but I do respond like I mean I think aesthetically clear improvement um I think music clear improvement you know I, I think that there's a lot of presentational aspects that are improved which is like I think kind of a given on a newer game ideally at least you know I think that that's gonna look and feel better but I do think that there's so many added layers of depth because you know I, I think Chris describes Splunky one as a clock you know everything is kind of yes. like all the numbers are set in motion and it's you navigating through and learning the language of the game, as we discussed. Yes. Um, and two is just that. This is this is more to the language. There's, there are more letters. There are more words now. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like, while normally I think a sequel being just more of the same is not inherently exciting, I think the way it's done in Splunky 2 is, it, it really it's- does work very well. To the point where, like... I think the game is summed up by the fact that in Splunky 1, you're this Indiana Jones-esque character, at least in the beginning, before you change your character. The the the, the intro to the game is that character walking through the desert uh, with a short poem that plays out and into a tomb, and then the game begins, mm-hmm. uh, and you're Splunky through the tomb. This game, it's that character's daughter on the moon. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you're immediately in space, uh, <laughs> which is not really still clear as to, like, how that's going to play out, but I think that it kind of sums up the game's intention where it's like now it's in space man 
follow our lead, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's a really great time. I'm really, and I think uh, something you told me, I think on the stream was like the co-op before wasn't really that viable because like only one character had the camera following them. But you and I played together and it was so much fun. Even with some We played online issues, co-op specifically. We played online co-op. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, the, the I think just to hit your note about like being more of the same, the thing about Spelunky 2 is like it is such a nuanced, weird way of handling that situation because like it is very easy to look at it and say it's more of the same. But like there's there's just something about Spelunky 2 that makes it feel like it's more than that, that makes it feel like yeah. it is reaching past that point and like grabbing a thing that I actually don't know how to articulate very well. Um, other people have tried to articulate it very well. Zach Gage, uh, who makes a lot of games I talk about on the show, uh, tweeted, um, I hate sequels. Sorry. They're usually designed to be the original thing, but more. But what I love about things isn't more. It's the magic of discovery. I want sequels that let me relive the experience of playing something for the first time. Spelunky 2 is perfect. And and Chris Plant uh, also in his review for Polygon said, you know, when you finish a movie or, uh, or a book or a game that you love and you wish you could experience again for the first time, that's what it has felt like to play Spelunky 2. I get to play my favorite game for the first time all over again it's not a sequel it's yet another chance to play spelunky with fresh eyes everything is just a little different another stroke that proves perfection is imperfect even the best can get better and like those are attempts at kind of getting to the heart of what's happening here in Splunky 2. As somebody who has played hundreds of hours of Splunky 1, like it really does feel like I have to relearn everything, even down to like little tiny tweaks in in movement and traversal and 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 things like that. Um, it feels like I just have to relearn things. Like bombs now explode a little bit bigger than they used to in the first one, and that changes everything in wild ways. It means I have to unlearn how I was using bombs in the first game. Uh, ropes are now easier to come by for some reason which means i could use ropes more but i'm not used to using ropes as much so now i'm using ropes more um down to even like you're always running auto run is turned on which is a thing i was always holding r2 to run in splunky one now i don't have to do that anymore i hold r2 to walk now and take my time which is bizarre um things like that are really interesting from like little tiny mechanical standpoints um but as a whole the experience just feels unknowable and weird in ways that like i didn't think were really going to be possible um down to the fact that like the first level instead of being the mines is this place called the dwelling which looks a lot like the mines it feels a lot like the mines a lot of the stuff is similar to the mines but there are some new enemies there there are turkeys you can ride around um when you get to the end of the mines there's a fucking boss uh and and the boss unlocks doors on the left and right which take you to two different versions of what your second world can be one of them is the jungle just like in spelunky one and the other one is like a weird techno future foundry set in a volcano being run by robots you know and that oh, volcana Vol oh yeah volcana everyone's <laughs> oh, yes, favorite volcana. vacation spot um I, for whatever reason whenever you get to volcana i imagine like a volcana postcard i don't know why but that's always like my first thought greetings from volcana there. yeah um that's great uh yeah and and what's weird about it is like i i see the split between volcana and the jungle as like how much spelunky one did you play because if mm. you played a lot of spelunky one you'll always go to the jungle because it's your safe space <laughs> you know what's going to be in there there's going to be you know a guy with a mask holding a boomerang there's going to be uh, a venus flytrap that eats you if you jump near it things like that whereas volcana 
I found actually like having played a lot of Splunky one, the jungle is kind of your like red herring. It's like, oh, yeah, go here because you think you're going to be safe. It's, you know, just as difficult as the jungle has always been. Volcana, weirdly easier. You just have to learn what happens in there. You have to learn what's possible. But it is actually weirdly easier to get through. And I find myself making it through the second world if I go through Volcana instead of the jungle. Things like that where like Derek Yu is not only saying like I'm making this game. This is kind of like, you know, this is its own entity, but it is also referencing the first one in really cheeky ways. I think that are built to fuck up people who show up with the confidence of I've played a thousand hours of Splunky one and have done the hell run and have done the eggplant run and I've seen all there is to see. And I think that's very funny. I think that's yeah. really, really incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm already sorry, by the way, I have already spoiled a lot of things. I know some people who who find that anything talked about that happens in Spelunky is considered a spoiler. Um, we're going to talk about our experiences of the things we've seen already. Uh, so I guess just like keep that in mind going forward. You put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just I just find Spelunky 2 to be incredible. I'm I'm upset that it came out the same week as Hades. Um, because I have needed to split my time between Hades and Spelunky 2 and all three Mario games from the 3D collection, um, <laughs> which is like infuriating. But I, I am glad that I have a, a an hour blocked out in my day every morning now to play Spelunky 2, because like as much as I think it's going to get buried by our conversation about Hades that's coming up. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's immediately better than the first one. And I thought the first one was perfect. And that that should say everything it needs to say, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm still waiting to to I mean, I'm really enjoying it. I, I need to get literally deeper and metaphorically to like, yeah, find my own experience with it. But I mean, it's been a blast, you know, and I think that is definitely even for someone with fresher eyes, it's a much more refined experience than the first one. Yeah. I think it's also like, I don't know if I'm just more experienced, but it feels a little bit more inviting. Like the first, like I guess in terms of mechanics, in terms of gameplay, you know, it's, it's close to perfect in terms of like, you know, you're, you're learning the laws of this game, but it's not welcoming. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a game that I could recommend to a lot of people because like, like we said before you know most people are going to play this be frustrated and probably drop it even chris in our episode was like his first impressions were like this game sucks yeah putting it down um so i think that you know you need to know what you're getting into but i think that the reward of that organic discovery and and in learning the language of this game is really wonderful you know it's the kind of thing like the cliche of like there are bands where like they may may not have been the most popular but anyone who listened to them made a band after Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah yeah. Uh, i feel like that's the case with spelunky where it's like it's not it's not a mario but if you played spelunky like you know so much more about game design than like most people do yeah kind of jumping (laughs) off that point honestly one of the ways that i've been thinking about this game and describing it to people when they ask me about it because a lot of people have known that i've been very excited about this and have asked me how it is now that it's out um the way i've been describing it to people kind of is that like hey spelunky one was mario for roguelikes essentially you know like spelunky one you know obviously there were other roguelikes before spelunky but spelunky kind of was like here's the blueprint for how to make this work and like it's so good that you should just ape everything from this like you should steal every idea that this thing has and apply it to your thing even if it's just one of the many ideas like it's worth it in the same way that mario was like check this out this fucking video game has like everything built into it that you could possibly want and then you know just pick and choose what you want from it and move it on to another thing spelunky 2 to me feels like super mario Mario world 
Like it's it is mm. like even down to the fact that you can now ride a turkey around and it's kind of like Yoshi. Like it is. Yeah. <laughs> it, I almost feel like the turkey's inclusion is Derek Yu saying this is Super Mario World versus Splunky oh, being Mario. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I like that idea. I don't know yeah. if that's the case, but that's what it feels like to me as I'm playing it. And that's the way I've been thinking about it and describing it to people is like it's everything that was good about Super Mario Brothers. But now it's in this new thing, looks better, plays better, is better, includes more stuff that is on the same caliber as the stuff that was in the first one. Um, There's also even like a little bit of like one thing that was added that has caught my attention is that, you know, in the first game, you could unlock characters to play as and you could set them for a menu. But in this game, like at the entrance of the temple, I guess, is every character you've unlocked and they all have like dialogue and stuff. Yeah, they're all like hanging out. I don't know how deep that goes. It could very well just be like them hanging out. I don't think it's going to be like a a Garrick Mock situation, (laughs) but like uh, it is a really nice touch. You know, it is nice to know that like there's even in your journal, there are biographies on all the characters you've unlocked, Mm -hmm. you know, like our favorite Rafi D sloth. Yeah. uh, Who's incredible. Even, I mean, the main character Splunky didn't even have a name. Now, not only is he the journal, the tutorial, but you're playing as his daughter, Anna Spelunky, right. who that's her name in the journal. So there's a little bit more like identity given to the characters in the game. And I, I, I personally resonate with that very strongly. Yeah, sometimes that's all it takes. You know, sometimes yeah. it is like three sentences in a, in a journal you can open by pressing a button that like is enough to make you connect on a more personal level with this thing that is supposed to be fucking hell, you know, like (laughs) Splunky is supposed to be like a trial by fire nightmare that never ends. Right. Like that's the whole point of this thing. And for some reason, just being like, Oh, my name is Anna now. That's enough. That's enough to be like, I, that propels me into the mines the next time or sorry, into the dwelling the next time. And there are NPCs that call you reborn, which like, yes, we'll talk, we'll talk about this more with, uh, with Hades, but I'm wondering the deeper you get into Splunky, how much is there a, narrative that's tied to this now very the curious, fact that you yeah. keep trying it you know that's it's a very and it doesn't matter who you are you could be rafi de sloth you're still called reborn yeah yeah it's really fascinating i'm very interested I, I i'll say this much um i have made it through the dwelling i have made it through both the jungle and volcana there's a thing that happens in level three one that i don't know if i want to spoil uh if you haven't watched the streams i guess or if you haven't played for yourself that moves you on to the next level after that which i have also uh, made it into but not finished so that's kind of as far as I've gotten so far. Uh, but it is, it is, I guess, um, the second fully new complete area um, that, mm. that includes a lot of stuff that Volcana has, which is like uh, liquid physics, essentially. Volcana has a bunch of lava that's floating around. And like if you use a bomb in the wrong spot, lava is going to pour all over the level um, and maybe even block your exit, which has happened to me many times at this point. And I've, I've now learned uh, to not explode lava pools because it means that I won't be able to get out and the run's going to be over. So uh, the, the level after 3-1 also kind of gets into that a little bit, which I find very interesting. But yeah, that's as much as I've seen. I've unlocked a couple secrets here and there. I found a couple new secrets here and there. I don't know how much I want to say currently, uh, but just tune into the streams if you want to see more. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, into yeah. the Casa online uh, to either go to the Twitch or the YouTube, depending on where you want to watch um either live or on the vod but yeah really looking forward to playing more and seeing more and i'm sure i'm going to talk about it again uh, especially as i get closer to the end if that ever happens yeah I, I i think we'll revisit this for sure and i'm excited to see more of your streams and i'll probably join you for a few as well yeah if you'll have me i would love rafa d sloth as your companion i would love nothing more than for you to join me on a morning stream that sounds so fun <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm a morning person. You're in luck. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I guess that might be a good place to leave it. Do you want to move on to our next segment? Yeah, let's take a break and uh, come back and talk about Hades, another roguelike. I just want to say, I, I know it's kind of getting buried with everything that's happening, but I'm so happy that you're enjoying Splunk 2 as much as you are, because I know what a big deal this is for you. Yeah, man. It's it's thrilling to have a thing that you've been looking forward to be this good, you know? Yeah. This has been a a lot this year uh video game wise a lot of big releases yeah and i don't know uh, when the last time you checked out your like potential goatee 2020 list was but i've been checking mine like every couple days and i'm just like amazed that it looks like this you know and that it's this hard to put this list together yeah man i mean it's always hard it's always been a challenge but like usually it gets hard at like six this gets hard at 14. You know, like it's like the 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 choosing 10 games for this year is going to be ungratifying in some way. Yeah. Like it's going to be a great episode. It's going to be good content, dear listener. Yeah. But for us, I feel like I'm I'm going to have to like make a big decision to leave something out of the list. So, yeah. I'm at I'm at 15 games at the moment. Um I'm at 14. And, uh, you know, that's that's on the list of what I want to pare down to 10. There's obviously like a much longer list of everything that's a contender. But I have been changing the list constantly, like almost every couple of days. It's rough. Yeah. How I usually do it is like when we're like closer to recording it, I'll re- I'll have that list throughout the whole year. Like I'll write down whatever I really like. Yeah. And then closer to the end, I'll replay everything for a little bit. Just so it's fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think it's easy to like gravitate towards whatever came out recently, yeah. but yeah, I think, um, it's going to be, re- it's going to be a really fun episode and I hope, uh, I know we've made loose plans to do it in person somehow. Yeah. So hopefully that we're- either way, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. Uh, very excited. But anyway, um, Splunky too, imagine you'll be hearing about that again. Come goatee season, probably along with the next game, Hades. Let's take a break and come back and talk. About it. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Goodbye. Goodbye. Steven, we're back to talk about the new super giant game released in 1.0 for the PC and also for the Nintendo Switch. It's called Hades. It's a roguelike that you love as much as I had always hoped you would love a roguelike. I feel like the the show has been you trying to find RPGs that I love and then you succeeded many times over. Um, and all I want to do. Yeah, quest complete. And all I wanted to do was uh, bring you down to the depths uh, the, the horrible masochistic nightmare realm that I've lived in for so uh-huh. long. And given given your predisposition to playing FromSoft games, I mean, it wasn't so out of the realm of possibility. But here we are with Hades, uh, a game that you have been, uh, I've already used the word, but I'll use it again, effusive about, at least in the group chat with me and AJ. Um, and I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about it. Um, it, it just feels yeah. like, it feels like, um, I don't know, I just feel like I've, I've been a good dad. <laughs> we've been good dads to each other i mean honestly speaking of dad in the past we've joked about games that feel like our children you Mm -hmm. know yeah i think in the past it was slay the spire and uh i think it might have been dragon's dogma i don't know whatever dragon's dogma was one of them and sign our wild hearts was another one of them yeah yeah i can't believe you forgot our children but anyway continue Well, here's the deal. So, like, uh, we definitely talked about a lot of roguelikes on the show together, which has been fun. Like, uh, I think Into the Breach was probably the biggest up until now. And I have always been interested in the idea of, like, roguelikes that interrogate the sort of narrative repercussions, which Into the Breach did. It was sort of like traveling back in time to prevent a calamity. Mm -hmm. And every time you restarted, it was this idea that, like, you're actually, you know, in a time loop of some sort. Man, 
Hades, like not only is this not only is this like me getting into a roguelike on equal footing with you, I think without exaggerating, this is everything you and I look for in a video game. Like yeah. truthfully. Yeah. I think this is like everything you and I have listed and pointed out of like what we enjoy about games and what we like admire about games is like not only on full display here, but is maybe the best version of that. <laughs> like, um, I guess before we, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to like kind of just glance over our super giant history. Yeah, I think that's please. also something I'd like to highlight with this game in particular. Do you so, want me to go uh, first because mine is very short? Yeah, that's <laughs> always the case. Because I'm always like, it all started when I was eight years old and I saw the moon. Uh, yeah, I heard for, the word Bastion for the first time and thought that'd be a cool name for a video game. One Sebastian, day. my cat, or the game about a calamity? Oh, okay, it was the latter. Six, 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 six. Um, I played Bastion when it very first came out, uh, liked it a whole lot. A lot of my friends liked it way more than me. I never finished it. I played it again when they, for some reason, ported it to Google Chrome for free. Uh, you could play it in your Chrome browser, um, and played a lot more of it in Google Chrome because A, I was amazed that I could play a video game in Google Chrome and B, Bastion was really good. Transistor came out. I thought it was awesome, but, um, like too needlessly complex as much as i loved everything about the vibe from yeah, a I agree, actually. from an art perspective and a narrative perspective and and it's well acted and it's beautiful and the sound uh, the sound design is great and the darren corb soundtrack is incredible um i just i just found the combat to be like way not not over my head but like i actually don't want to put in the work to play this you know to, yeah. to wrap my head around it so yeah. um that was kind of my thing with transistor pyre i played at pax before it came out um for like an hour because everybody was lined up to play the single player de- demo and my friend Pablo and I were uh, dying to play the multiplayer and played it for like an hour straight and loved it. Never played the full release, thought it was going to come out on Switch and it never did. I actually was floored that Hades came out on Switch because I thought that Pyre was going to get ported first and then Hades would come after that. Not thinking that maybe Pyre just doesn't come out on Switch and Hades is the one that comes to Switch. Um, but anyway, the, the the long story short with me and Supergiant is that I respect the fuck out of everything they do. I think that all of their games are, are gorgeous, sound great, great acting, um, play really well for the most part. Um, but there's always been something that has prevented me from getting into one fully and I'll put the pin there and then pick it back out when we're talking about Hades. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I weirdly, even though I've been a big fan for a long time, I, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said there. Because like we we actually we talked about Pyre in some episode in season two. I don't know the exact episode, which is a surprise. We usually do, mm-hmm. but uh, we talked about Pyre in passing, and we've talked about Bastion was one of our games of the decade in the games of the decade episode, and rightfully so. I, that to me was like Bastion was the first game I played that like really showed me what the indie world was capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like we've talked about that a lot with like you know the sort of late two thousands being kind of like the dawn of the of the indie world. You know, like uh, before Bastion, the only indie games I had played, which are both great, were Yumi Nikki and Cave Story. And Cave Story was like the big one. That was like the really big early indie game that like yes, kind of just showed like oh shit, some dude in his room just made this, and it's like on par with Nintendo. You know, this is amazing. Right. Um, which is on Switch, by the way. I think a lot of people forget it that is. it was like one of the first games on Switch. I have, I have it. Yeah. I came with the keychain of one of the characters. Anyway, um, <laughs> actually, that is uh, just some uh, fun insider info. Uh, our Cave Story episode is the one of the few that didn't get released. Uh, maybe we can revisit that one Oh day. my God, you're right. That is... Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what that's the one that was yeah. Lost to the Aether. Anyway. Yeah, that was one of the Lost to the Aether episodes. If uh, Honestly, though, like I, I'm willing to gauge... I'm, I'm open to gauging this. If y'all want some Cave Story content, please let us know, because I would love to revisit that. 
Yeah, um, same. But anyway, Bastion was like a really beautiful game. For those who don't know, I mean, honestly, Bastion is still worth picking up. It's perpetually on sale for some reason, and it's on everything. Like yeah. you said, it's on Google Chrome. It's on every single platform. I think it was $3 on Switch the other day. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's You can get it, and like the soundtrack's incredible. Darren Korb is the composer for all of Supergiant. And that's what I love about Supergiant is like they have a very strong sense of authorship, but full circle david bowie they never stick to the same thing they're always trying something new yeah bastion was kind of like an action adventure game uh where it was like an isometric view which they've that's like the one thing that has kind of stayed uh, at least for mm-hmm. most of the games is an isometric view uh, and you walk around this environment that is kind of unfolding in front of you almost like mario galaxy where like there are things you can't see yet and then they fall into place right and the art direction is just like really really cool the music is very much like this kind of fusion of like folk and country and rock like there's a lot of banjo and stuff like it's a really cool soundtrack it's not something you've heard in a lot of games it's actually i remember seeing an interview with dan corbett he was like you know a lot of game soundtracks are either orchestral or they're like electronic and that's fine but like you don't hear a lot of other genres of music and you can mm-hmm. tell that was the like the idea going into bash and soundtrack it's like every other genre you don't hear <laughs> you know yeah. it's like all these this like medley of genre and and the game had this and I think the starring element of Bastion was the narrator voiced by Logan Cunningham who's in a lot of the games and also in Hades he provided the narrator's voice that was like such a cool vocal performance and like really pulled you into the game right away right and that also spawned this idea that Bastion excuse me that Supergiant had been very interested in since Bastion is like narration with the game you know like the game is responding to what you're doing like yes. down to the point where uh you know any any action or any you know small slip up that could re- result in your death has like full ass narrated dialogue to like goof on you for doing so yeah. yeah yeah so it's a really beautiful blend of story and gameplay and and i think that that you know since then the one thing that has stayed i mean alongside them having like a dedicated team that have all done you know a lot of musicians and artists and actors who have stayed on the team since bastion this idea of of fluid writing you know of writing around the gameplay yeah uh has has stayed and i think is in full fruition with hades which we'll build to so bastion great game and i think weirdly bastion shares the most dna with hades i would say like in terms of gameplay uh it has the most in common i I would uh, i was gonna bring this up before but it's worth bringing up now even score wise i actually think that the score of hades is kind of reminiscent of what bastion was doing as well yeah because bastion and hades both have kind of like a mediterranean flair to the Mm -hmm. like the string instruments and stuff yeah you know i mean inherently with hades it's greek mythology but you know with bastion as well and yeah so it, it feels like almost like a return home but like with all the lessons learned from the other games yeah transistor i agree transistor is a game that i've always wanted to love but really like instead i think that the it's it's like blade runner meets art deco it's beautiful maybe their best looking game honestly like i think it has some of the most brilliant design there and the soundtrack is unreal yeah uh it's their take on sci-fi and like it has very similar combat to bastion but there's this attempt at fusing turn base with real time that like you said is needlessly complex there are so many options that it, it is overwhelming not exciting because, yeah. you know, I think we'll get into Hades and with Bastion. Bastion and Hades both have tons of options. Uh, and we'll get more into this when we talk specifically about Hades. 
but it's exciting. It, it's know, exciting and, and it's can, not overbearing literally at all. Like it's all yeah. just thrilling. Anytime there's a new mechanic added in Hades, as we'll talk about, it's like exciting, not something else that you have to worry about. Yeah. Um, but what was cool about Transistor and what they've definitely taken from that game and put into Hades in a, in a big way is this like sense of lore and this compendium, you know, like mm-hmm. all kind of like almost near Automata. There are we- there are characters tied to weapons in Transistor. Yeah. The idea, there's this sort of like singularity happening and your sword is this big like memory card, basically. <laughs> uh, and it has like people's memories and all the attacks you unlock are actually tied to characters. So like, yeah, that all really worked for me. It's just so kind of like there's so many moving parts and you don't really get like you don't get enough reward for the time spent like figuring it out. Yeah. Um, Pyre, meanwhile, is almost the opposite. Pyre, I, I, I talked about it, you know, last season. Half of the game is Dragon Age, Oregon Trail, like incredible. All the games are incredibly well written. But Pyre has this kind of focus on the role playing, on on talking to characters and like choosing, you know, how to interact with them. You know, it has a lot of Bioware DNA in that way. But the core game was fantasy rugby, which was really fun, but it never really changes. And something that they've actually, Supergiant has said directly is like Pyre is a game. I didn't realize this because, you know, I went through the whole map. And at the end of Pyre, you're kind of in like their their really creative version of what Purgatory is, you know? Right. It has this like Oregon Trail vibe in Purgatory. And at the end of this rugby tournament, you choose one of your party mates to like leave. You know, they've all had their own stories. They've all been there for different amounts of time. And you get to choose who goes. Uh, and once you do that, the game kind of starts over and like... The writing continues, but you're really just still playing rugby. So like mm-hmm. they wanted you to keep playing it. And and I've heard from other people who have kept playing. It's like the story gets even more interesting. And like at a certain point, it's clear that you can't choose everyone. So like you have to choose like who stays too. But like Yikes. that requires you to keep playing rugby that never changes. You right. know, like yeah. and the thing is, that, and, and this is where my conversations with them at PAX come in because, you know, we were just hanging out there playing for a long time. So, of course, yeah. somebody I don't know who, but somebody from Supergiant came and talked to us. Um, and like, I just remember hearing that it was supposed to be kind of like an esport. Like they wanted this to be a thing that people were playing and getting competitive at. And and honestly, my friend and I, um, as we continued to play it over the course of that, like 30 minutes to an hour, we started off like, oh, this is kind of fun to like getting real competitive and suddenly realizing like where the skill ceiling is and the depth of it. I think it, I think that experience of us playing it at PAX happened around the same time as um, as as Rocket League's release, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, and I remember the, uh, thinking the brilliance of Rocket League was um, you can pick it up and you can play it really easily. But the first moment, you know, you, you think you know where the skill ceiling is and you think you understand how the skill ceiling is going to work. But the first moment you see somebody fly in their car is like there's a whole other realm of possibility here. And you can feel that in Pyre. Like Pyre has that depth. Totally. Um, but but I think just by way of it being kind of like a single player focus meant that that second aspect of it never really got explored. Yeah. And, and they didn't intertwine I think, the way they wanted it to. Like it always felt like, you know, you were either going to be more into one or the other. Like right, they right, didn't, right. they didn't complement each other the way the game, it was kind of water and oil. And that, and that, Apparently, like I, I, I read a lot of that was sort of what they went into Hades thinking. It's OK, we want to make a game that has this kind of like cyclical storytelling that's based on doing more than one run. Mm-hmm. So why don't we try a roguelike, which almost seems like the elephant in the room this whole time, because yeah. everything they've been doing has been kind of leading up to this. 
all that to say, Hades is to me as a as a longtime Supergiant fan, and, and obviously I've liked some games more than others, but I've always appreciated what they're trying to do. Hades feels like the crystallizing moment of like everything they've ever attempted at its best. Yeah, <laughs> like, truly, yeah. it is. You know, it's it's obviously <laughs> like incredible music and art and acting and writing, all the all the stuff you expect from Supergiant, but it has the tight gameplay design. And, and kind of action combat of Bastion. Uh, it has the sort of like compendium lore of Transistor. It has the role-playing elements of Pyre all wrapped up in a package that is like so dangerously addictive and so just like perfect. Like talk about intention and execution. This is a game that uh, it's about you are Prince Zagreus, the son of Hades, and it kicks off. You're trying to leave the underworld. That's all you know in the beginning. You're like, I'm out of here fuck this place you don't really <laughs> need to know I why i understand yeah, like you it's, it's a bummer you don't want to be there you'll learn why in more detail as you play it but you're you know you're going out and it kind of almost has a little bit of like bastion meets diablo dna meets like you know Z- zelda binding of isaac where like you're going through this procedurally generated but pulling from a pool environment where like every mm-hmm. room has some kind of obstacle to overcome usually it's kill all enemies and then you'll get a reward at the end of it and then usually there are a couple options of which room to go into next and the door of that room will actually show what reward you get um we'll get more into mechanics but basically the the broad loop of the game is like trying a run and when you die you go back to the hall of hades and when you're in the hall of hades you're able to walk around you're able to talk to characters you're you're able to talk to hades who i think what really informed the tone of the game for me is like hades knows what you're up to he even knows some people are helping you and he's at his desk doing paperwork he's like i don't have time to deal with your angst like yeah (laughs) you can try to run i have no faith that you're getting out of here like yeah just try if you can he's like i'm "I'm the lord of the fucking under world do you think i built this yeah. place to be a place you can escape from my guy right. <laughs> no uh, and i'll get more into details of because i have so many characters i'd love to highlight but basically what i think this game does so well is that like every time you die the story advances you know every yes. time you you go back to the hall it doesn't have a feeling that you know like in dark souls and in spelunky you learn from death you learn from defeat and from failure yeah but there is that frustration as a player of like fuck all right back to the beginning i know i've learned something but i have to start over Mm -hmm. i never ever feel like i'm actually starting over in hades because whenever i go back to the hall of hades it feels to me the same way it does in mass effect going back to the ship or in persona going back to the real world because every time you go back there are new conversations to have new things to do and you're constantly being rewarded for playing the game it it almost doesn't matter how far your run goes because you're actually going to get more story the more you die you know so like weirdly in the very beginning like the game knows you're probably not going to get super far right away and it does a great job like you know as you play and and you and I are both like disturbingly far into this point (laughs) it's come out like a few days ago at this point this episode will come out Wednesday it's been out for like roughly a week but the game does also a great job of gradually introducing things so it never has that overwhelming feeling Transistor has where it's like oh my god how am I going to keep track of all this like it gives you a few options and the more you play the more options you have but I think what's so brilliant is that 
just the right it goes back to the the bastion narration the writing around the game is so unbelievable to the point where like whenever you die you come back and hypnos who's the god of uh sleep the brother of hades is like oh so that thing killed you and like has a whole little vignette about like whatever character killed you yeah uh whenever you meet you know uh, one of the rewards you can get in the rooms is uh (laughs) You can get boons from various gods of Olympus who, like, for whatever unknown reason, have chosen to help you. And they, you know, they'll have their own little dialogue with you the first time. And even Zagreus, the protagonist, is like, oh, shit, this is Zeus. Okay. Um, in the name of Hades, I call, you know, like, yeah. he always has kind of like a, you know, organic reaction to who the god is. And the gods, as you play it, will always comment on, like, what weapon are you using? What other boons do you have? You right. know, like... Like, oh, have you already talked to Aphrodite? Well, guess what? Hermes is, like, nervous about Aphrodite. He's like, oh, my God, yeah. you talked to Aphrodite earlier? Holy shit, that's terrifying. Yeah. I, I had a boon with Artemis, who's the goddess of the hunt, and is kind of like a recluse. And then I went to Dionysus, who's the god of wine and theater, and is not a recluse yeah. at all. And he was like, oh, man, you party with Artemis? Like, we don't even see her. Like, okay, cool. Here, this might help you. You know, yeah. like, it, it, it really does feel like you're going to have your own experience with this game, and the game is going to meet you, like... With what's happening in the moment. And and not to mention, of course, this is a game that you're going to be trying out new runs all the time. The runs always feel fresh. And when you do fight similar enemies, the protagonist will be like, oh, hey, guys, let's do this again. You know, there's a lot of dialogue that aids that. Yeah. Not to mention that eventually that is all also subject to change. Like It always feels so fresh. So it has this really unparalleled sense of progression despite the fact that you're going to die a lot. You know, the reason I can recommend this game to almost anyone is like, it doesn't have that requirement that like a Dark Souls or, or even a Splunky has where like, someone has to say like, hey, you're going to be frustrated, but like get past that and you'll eventually like it. This just rules the whole time. Like yeah. <laughs> even if you suck ass, you're going to have a great time with it because Zagreus would be like, fuck, I suck. I keep dying of that witch. Right. And you'll talk about it with this like incredible cast. Like the, the, the interpretation of Greek mythology here is so fun. It's simultaneously loyal so like anyone who's who's passionate about mythology, like, you know, you and I are both really into this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, it's true to their depictions, but it's also like a really fresh take. Yeah, um, it is incredible. And and that's kind of like the selling point is the fact that this game is it, it's the fluid writing around your actions and it's the narrative exploration of restarting. And that's my that's my broad thing. I would love now just to talk about like everything else, because I'm I'm I am in love with this game. If you can't tell this is red <laughs> alert this is like least chill possible uh one of one of our children i love this game so much already it's so much fun i can't play anything else i can't do anything else everyone who has recommended <laughs> to us in the past you've been very patient we finally played it it's great um anyway yes. I, I leave the floor to you because i've just been just vomiting praise yeah no i i mean that was all that was all great um i i'm so fucking with you uh yeah for me this is like absolute dream scenario for super giant you know like yeah me somebody who has looked on the outset at super giant stuff keeps trying to get into it keeps you know kind of bouncing off of it for one reason or another um them being like okay let's take everything we're good at from all of these previous games that we've made and just like funnel it into a rogue 
like is like, hey, Brendan, we made a game for you. Um, <laughs> Give this one a shot. Yeah. yeah, which is which is just thrilling. I mean, so one of the things that I, I should talk about just in terms of my own love of roguelikes is like I started with The Binding of Isaac, like the original release of The Binding of Isaac. And that was the one that like really kind of settled. I didn't even know what roguelike was. I just knew I liked The Binding of Isaac. And that game kind of lives and dies by the synergies between items, right? You're, you're going through these kind of like top down original Legend of Zelda dungeons uh, doing like a bullet hell kind of shooter. And every once in a while, once per floor, you'll be able to get an item that may synergize another item. So maybe you get a laser beam that covers up one of your eyes. So one of your eyes is shooting bullets out, which are in that game tears. And then the other eye is now shooting laser beams. But you get an upgrade later on that makes your tears bigger. Well, technically, one of your tears is a laser beam. So now your laser beam is like the size of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's extremely wide. It's three times as wide as it was before. That's the kind of stuff that the Binding of Isaac is, is uh, kind of coming at and is really, I think, fascinated with. It's just like, let me just build a weird collection of items and, and eventually, you know, sometimes they'll be overpowered, sometimes they'll be underpowered, sometimes you'll get an item that synergizes with another one that actually, like, fucks you over in a big way. Um, and that's kind of the fun of the game. Then, you know, I, I ran into other games like Spelunky, which is like, okay, let's take all of that away. So, like, Binding of Isaac, at least as you're continuing to play, you're unlocking new items that may show up in the dungeon the next time you're playing, right? So, you're you do have constant progression in that, you know, oh, I made it all the way to the end of this run, technically. Now I've unlocked, you know, an item called the rock, which will sh- sometimes show up in an item room. Um, and that's great. You have this constant progression. Then I ran into Splunky, which was like, you know, the exact opposite side of that, which is like, actually, you're just not going to take anything with you at all. Every single time you're going to start in the mines, it's going to randomly generate the level. You got four bombs, four ropes, and that's all you have to deal with. And that game is all about just learning the language, figuring it out eventually getting good enough to finish it or not you know if you give up on it and and the brilliance of it is just kind of discovery and and discovering all the ways that you should not die in the future so there's that kind of thing um more on the binding of isaac side the next game that i really kind of uh fell in love with like really fell in love with and this is the one that i I wanted to kind of drill it in on because it relates so much to hades is rogue legacy by cellar door Mm -hmm. games um which is a castlevania style roguelike in that you are taking this character uh they have a specific list of perks that they have uh when you pick them you go through the uh through the castle through the castlevania style castle and beat a bunch of bosses you have to beat four bosses get their keys and then bring it back to the center uh to fight the last boss and obviously all the bosses are extremely difficult so you know it's going to take a long time the beauty of rogue legacy and the thing that i found really interesting about it and the reason i recommend it to so many people is that throughout your run you're collecting money and when you die that money gets handed down to your next of kin technically so when you die you're immediately presented with a screen that says here are your three children all three of them have different perks which of these children do you want to pick with uh, do you want to pick to go on your next run you take that money that you got in your last run and you spend it on permanent upgrades, which will upgrade your stats. So now you can take more damage. Now you can do more damage. Oh my God, you can double jump now. How cool is that? Things like that. You, you get better weapons, better armor, and all these things upgrade your stats. So no matter who you are, just by bashing your head against the wall of Rogue Legacy and dying over and over and over again, you will beat the game. Like it will end for you. You will finish it. I have played through the entirety of Rogue Legacy many, many times on many platforms. I bought it on every platform it exists for except Switch because I'm for once in my life trying to uh, be responsible. <laughs> um, 
But I've always found Rogue Legacy to be the most interesting style of roguelike. Like the Splunky thing is is great and cool and interesting. And I just w- talked a lot about why Splunky 2 is great. Um, I love that style of thing. But Rogue Legacy is the one that I want there to be more of because I think it's a great genre. I think it's exploring the genre in a way that is accessible to everyone where it's like, wow, this is hard, but I am getting better. And on top of getting better. I'm also getting stat upgrades, which are making it even easier to progress in the future. I think that that's great. Um, Hades, this is where it all wraps up. Hades is doing the exact thing that I wanted from Rogue Legacy and adding a narrative layer, playing to super giant strengths, adding adding the incredible narrator, adding the cast of characters, adding the weirdly persona-esque relationship meters that you're building up yeah. over time per run. Uh, you're going in, you're pulling out a bunch of different currencies that you can spend on different things to customize the way the Hall of Hades looks, to upgrade your stats permanently. Eventually, you can swap out those stats for new stats that are a little bit riskier, but a little bit more fun as you start to get better at the game. It unfurls that unto you as you continue to wrap your head around one mechanic they say now that you figured this out here's another one that's really cool and here's why you should check it out it is doing the thing that i loved about rogue legacy on a level that i didn't even think was possible and on top of all of that uh, is wrapping it up in a narrative that is asking questions about the nature of cyclical death is asking questions about the 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 nature of what it means to attempt something over and over and over again and fail repeatedly and still pull yourself up and try and do it again um, it, it is it is tackling so many things at like such a high caliber of, of success that like it's almost hard to talk about how successful this game is without just like gushing, foaming at the mouth, saying like, you got to play Hades, you got to play Hades. It's great, which is what I've been doing. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I would compare it directly. Like we've, we've talked a lot about, again, going back to the episode with Chris, like uh, near Automata. And I've also talked a lot about Undertale being critiques and examinations of mechanics and video games. Yes. Those games are very interested in uh, new saves and in decisions, you know, I mean, Undertale especially, but those games are interested in starting over in a way that is like, you know, more like, when do you think this game is over kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But this game is is questioning the idea of like perseverance in a game. Yeah. The idea of not giving up. I mean, it, it's, you know, not so subtly one of the first characters you meet is Sisyphus, who in Greek mythology <laughs> yes. is a uh, mortal who cheated death and out of spite, Hades cursed them uh, into the deepest realms of Tartarus, the first area, uh, to push a boulder up a hill uh, only for it to fall back down over and over again. And whenever you meet Sisyphus as as uh Zagreus, right? Zagreus. Mm-hmm. There's like a common kinship there. They both like really respect each other and they're like, we're kind of doing the same thing, aren't we? Yeah. You know, like yeah. I know I'm the prince of the underworld and I had this like flashiness to me and I'm getting all these boons from seemingly sympathetic uh Olympian gods, but like every even the people who are helping me seemingly know that this might be impossible. Mm-hmm. You know? Like and and I think that that's something that really aids the the narrative is like, you know, in the Hall of Hades, Hades is kind of laughing at you and and one of the best things is cerberus is like weirdly like your closest friend like <laughs> yeah. they're just your dog and like you can pet them and all that and uh where the persona mechanics come in which like really was a sucker punch for me and of course is like my favorite part of the game is you get an item called it's a uh nectar. it's nectar nectar of the gods and you can give that to characters the first time you give it to a character 
they give you an item called the keepsake, which is an item you choose before starting your run. Like, you know, whenever you die, you go back to the Hall of Hades, talk to everybody, check what's up. You go into your room and you look in the mirror and you can, from your mirror, you can choose to invest in your permanent upgrades. So that's stuff like you might, when you die, you might be revived with half health. Uh, You might, you know, regain some health wherever you go into a new room, stuff like that. And then in the next area, you choose your weapon and your keepsake. And keepsakes are items given to you by characters that give you kind of a passive bonus. So usually for the Olympian gods that you can get boons from, if you give them nectar, they'll be like, oh, hell yeah, here. Uh, if you ever want to, like, you know, if you if you have an affinity towards a certain god, either because you like the boons they give for your build for that run, or you just want to see more of their character, you can choose an item that like increases the likelihood that they will show up. You can also choose items that just give you certain passive bonuses. Like it's, you know, a really cool system. But on top of that, you know, there's sort of like a S-Link confidant thing where every character in your uh, compendium written by Achilles, interestingly enough, uh, the compendium is great. I've read, uh, there have been some playthroughs where I just read what I've unlocked in the compendium. So much fun. And that's its own sense of progress. Because like the more enemies you kill, the more, you know, updates you get on the enemies in the compendium uh the more times you use certain weapons you actually get the story of those weapons kind of like near automata kind of like weirdly near, yeah. <laughs> um and and same with the characters like the more you talk to the gods and to the people in the hall of hades it deepens the pool of dialogue the game is pulling from so you're going to get to know them better and from what little i know without spoiling too much i do think that there's some layer of like you know having like either like uh, a love interest or something or just you get to a certain point where you like kind of like reach max bond with a character yeah i don't know what that looks like in the game but i imagine it's very cool because like the game does a good job of kind of pacing what it's giving you you know in the very beginning you only have one or two weapons uh you're only meeting certain characters you know you're getting kind of your feet on the ground and then like once you feel like you know something they add another layer of depth to it where you're like whoa okay cool you know yeah it's, like, ama- example, it's amazing how often they will give you a new mechanic or a new idea and it's like oh my god this actually does literally change everything about the way i'm thinking about playing this game (laughs) right it like the amount of times my thought of what this game what the possibility space of hades was has been completely flipped on its head and changed is like uncountable at this point like even down to the fact that we haven't even explained really what a boon is but like a boon is kind of like that binding of isaac item thing that i was talking about a boon will be like dionysus for example is the god of wine if you find a dionysus boon dionysus will show up and he'll say something cheeky at you and then he'll offer you a boon a choice of three boons which are um either stat upgrades or you know because he's the god of wine you'll get like your attack with whatever weapon you have now inflicts what's called hangover which is essentially like a poison in in a way where like you know it just does kind of damage over time as long as you hit them once uh aphrodite for example uh can give you uh you know she's the god of love can give you boons that will allow you to charm enemies into fighting for you which is like maybe not super surprising but also she has ones that make them like weak at the knees so their damages do less and they're slower things like that zeus lightning stuff poseidon you shoot waves out and push enemies away from you things like that it's like the things you would expect but just like done really tastefully um yeah 
and that stuff is what gets really interesting and that's and that's why when you give nectar to one of those gods specifically like you can cater your playstyle to saying like i on this run i'm gonna get as far as i possibly can i'm gonna pick the Ares keepsake so i can run into Ares as much as possible because i think his boons mixed with this weapon that i'm using currently is the combination that's gonna get me further than i've ever gone before um and like you can just like in rogue legacy how you would say okay this this uh specific of the three children i can choose from this one uh collects more money and i want a money run i just want to collect as much money as possible and then come out and then spend it on this specific perk upgrade forever like this permanent thing um every run of hades is a choice that's like okay what kind of run is this going to be for me and and the game is so malleable and so okay with just kind of like forming itself to whatever you want it to be that it's totally cool to go in and say i'm going to get gems this run just so i can upgrade the way the drapes look outside my bedroom like that that can be a whole run of the game and there's a story built around it that you can explore just by doing that Right, you're always getting something out of it, which is why it never feels frustrating. You know, you're yeah. all, even if you just dive in with a gun, you know, and lose, yeah. like you don't. You know, one of the weapons is a gun. You know, you, you I, you're, yeah, I have not had a run that ends with without some kind of plus. You know, I have not so far. Yes. I've died, I think, twenty seven times or twenty eight times. I've done twenty seven or twenty eight runs total. Um, run the same. I have I have not had a run that ended with me being like I'm disappointed I I, I didn't get anything out of this. I always have yeah. gotten something, um, and it always makes me want to jump in and get something else. I mean, I one of my last runs was like seemingly at at what I perceive as the end, and I know it's not, but like mm-hmm. what feels like it should be the end, and I died like with, with you know, the boss of like a hit left, and I wasn't frustrated. Cause I'm like, I know when when I go back to the Hall of Hades, crazy shit is gonna go down. You yeah. know, yeah, like I know that they're gonna you. I mean, sometimes you walk back and Hades is laughing as you walk back and he's like, how'd you like Elysium, asshole? Yeah, that's my favorite. It's it's great. And, And it really, it's so immersive and it's so... It's just so well done. Like, it, it really is a perfect cohesion of narrative and gameplay. And, like, it's just so charming, too. It's it's the perfect balance of, like, it's a game that that is cool without trying to be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's accomplishing, I think, the power fantasy that, like, the early God of War games are trying to. But with, like, <laughs> out committing to, like, a kind of hyper-masculine, like, toxic view of it. Yeah. like. I scream like fuck yeah while playing this game when like even when the soundtrack like transitions to like borderline new metal I'm like all in yeah like it's so exciting and simultaneously <laughs> it almost scratches that Diablo itch of like it can also weirdly be relaxing I'm just kind of like going through this like loop totally like, you know that you're not going to lose anything like you're only gaining you're only getting new story and I've yet to see like this game doesn't want to repeat any line of dialogue either there's new writing or there just won't be a line of dialogue there Mm -hmm. you know but i have yet to like run into any repeated lines which is really amazing given like how many things i've experienced over and over again yeah i i'm constantly floored by the by the narrative presentation of this thing i have some theories about where it's going that i almost don't even want to say out loud maybe we could talk about it after the show um, yeah, because I, I don't I don't want to twinge any like if you haven't checked out Hades yet, I don't want to twinge your perception of what's happening in this game, like literally at all. Um, I, in some instances, I think we might have already said too much, but it's OK. Uh, you're going to have a great time regardless. I mean, it, it is. I mean, we just talked about Spelunky, too. And like, how do you improve on perfection? Like there I can't think of things that happen in Hades. that I don't like there's one thing in Spelunky, too, that I don't like. There's one thing specifically, and I think about it all the time whenever it happens to me. There's like one. I'll just say it out loud. Why not? Um, whenever 
whenever you go through a door, sometimes there's an enemy on the other side of the door and there's no way to know that the enemy was there and it hits you and you take damage. And sometimes that could be the end of the run for you. That's a thing that happens in Spelunky too sometimes. It's the, it's like the one weird thing where I point at it. I'm like, this game is not perfect because sometimes I go through a door and a bat hits me. <laughs> Hades, I'm like... I don't know what I would improve. It feels yeah. like Splunky one where it's like, I don't know what I would change here. I actually think it might just be perfect. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is nitpicking. The only thing I would say is like, I sometimes have a hard time reading the menu of boons. Like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. like when I select a new one, I'm like, what, which boon am I losing by taking this on? Cause you can like replace them as you go. Yeah. But that's like about it. Like it's a real, and that's not even like, I, I you had to bring that up for me to even think about it yeah um yeah it's it's a, it's a game i can i can recommend to anyone honestly like even if roguelikes aren't your thing you're going to be so smitten by the presentation of this game by the writing by the characters you're going to have your own experience with it and like there's enough upgrades and stuff happening that like you're going to get better the more you play it but you're also just going to like stumble into success as well you know the yeah. game's not playing itself but like like you say with rogue legacy like if you commit to playing it you'll eventually make progress you know it's right. not completely like you know it, it's the luck of the run in some ways where you might just find a combination and that's that's the element of discovery that's really beautiful is like you you're finding what weapons and what boons and what you know there there is even more customization that i don't think we want to spoil it but like the game is constantly giving you more and more and more and more to play with both mechanically and narratively that like you're gonna have a great time yeah you know, i mean again talking like, about the the binding of isaac side of things like you get a boon for Dionysus, you know, uh, giving you hangover uh, on your attack. And, and you might also get another thing uh, from Zeus that lets you like shoot lightning down or something. Um, and those two are going to interact and synergize in a way that's going to make you completely change your yeah. play style just for that run. And it feels so much like the thing that I loved about Binding of Isaac all over again in a completely new presentation. Um, and going back to the narrative cohesion, like every now and then too, like it, even with that, okay, like these, these boons complement one another. Every now and then you might pick up a boon and the gods will be like, hey, Artemis, sup? And they'll, they'll, they'll give you a duo boon. Right. Which is they'll like, like team up to give you like a boon that, yeah. that is somehow a blending of their two powers on purpose it's like a right it's a, it's a synergy baked into itself i had one where like poseidon and zeus were like yeah man your dad like kind of sucks i mean we're we're open to having him come back to olympus but like in the meantime enjoy this and it's whenever you push back an enemy with a wave that gets struck by lightning so it's like this is That's amazing awesome. yeah. like this is and, and it's always gonna feel that way like I, I i have a very hard time saying which god is my favorite or which weapon is my favorite <laughs> because like anything you pick feels like like it shouldn't be everything feels the, too good to be true like yeah, when you're yeah. using it you know um just to go back to what you were saying before about uh how, how this game kind of like rogue legacy just allows you to go in and like if you commit to playing it you will eventually probably succeed and it is the luck of the run but i i do think like rogue legacy the way that worked was just like you go in you get money you upgrade the permanent upgrades and eventually you'll you'll have enough permanent upgrades where like you could just brute force your way through the end the the beautiful thing about hades i think is like not only is that probably going to happen because there are enough permanent upgrades that will be like wild enough that like you will feel overpowered but there are other exciting ways to feel overpowered you know there there are other things that don't involve getting the permanent upgrades that might just happen randomly that might just get you further than you've ever gotten before i'm just thinking like there was a run i had last night where i was using one of the weapons is like some fists that you just kind of 
put on your hands um some big fists and i got an upgrade for uh the fists that meant that anytime i uppercut someone i healed three percent of my health i got three percent of my health back if i killed the thing it, it was thrilling i made it further than i've ever gone before that that by itself made me feel overpowered you know that fr- that was the first upgrade i got as soon as i left my bedroom i walked out and i was like this run is going to be so different than anything i've experienced so far but then i don't know there there are other runs where like you'll show up in the weapon select room and and one of the weapons will be glowing purple and what it means when that weapon is glowing purple is if you go on a run with this weapon you will get an an increased amount of the currency the permanent currency that will upgrade your stats permanently in all of your runs um so you could if you wanted to just brute force the game by always picking the glowing purple weapon always getting more of that purple currency uh and then always spending it on permanent upgrades so next time you go in you're even stronger than you were before but what i think is is wonderful about hades is like as much as you could do that just by playing it and just by playing it that way you're also just going to get better like yeah that's the thing with yeah. spelunky is like you're not getting any reward at all for any of your failed runs with the, with the exception <laughs> of the knowledge of how you died and how to avoid it going forward hades is almost tricking you into that same spelunky loop where you are constantly learning how you're dying you're just not really clocking it as much because there are other rewards that are shinier floating above those um and and not only are they shinier but they are actually helping you so that shiny knowledge plus the secret covert knowledge you're getting uh that's maybe even subconscious are blending together and making you better at the game which means that i think like you said i can kind of recommend hades to everybody even if you don't like difficult games i think it's like it's almost worth trying anyway just because you're gonna get better and you're gonna have such a good time in in the world anyway like we said it's the first five minutes that are gonna be like oh yeah i get it you know yeah you said it immediately rules and it's so the case i mean i think zagreus is a really charming protagonist honestly like he really works for me yeah we haven't even talked about it but like everyone in this game is is way too hot starting with Zagreus <laughs> I I went onto the eShop and saw Zagreus I was like oh all right yeah I guess this totally. is I guess this is gonna be my my time huh like oh yeah. man AJ keeps sending us pictures of Dionysus yeah it's it's ridiculous but like as I mean actually it's worth noting too that Zagreus is uh the voice actor is Dan Corb the composer which I think is really nice it's like he's voicing the main character in a game you know he's been the composer since day one and it's kind of cool yeah it is a great job he's also Skelly who's amazing yeah he he has kind of a like a benedict cumberbatchy voice to him a little bit yeah i i uh you know and zagreus is like he's kind of snarky and he's a little bit arrogant but like he is in an archetype of game protagonist that feels overdone but he feels very genuine you know like i think you're really united with him as a protagonist in his like a respect for everyone that isn't hades like he's open to talking to talking to anyone yeah and like you know there there are some characters like uh uh megara who you know is a character you meet early on and there's some kind of history there right mm-hmm. you know uh so there, there are some pre-existing relationships but the game is a pretty good job of like you're usually like where zagreus is at he even says shit out loud that i'm thinking you know when i'm fighting <laughs> a boss who's like all right bone hydra let's do this shit you know yeah. like uh it's great and and he uh his desire uh to leave and his insistent perseverance is really cool and it's kind of interesting to see the characters around him the characters who are helping him the most are nyx who is the goddess of darkness and night Mm -hmm. and she's kind of the matriarch of the underworld even hades like respects her and like yeah 
knows she's helping you but again it's like he's doomed like you know just make sure he doesn't fuck everything up um <laughs> yeah but she she's helping you and 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 but every even even nicks and even achilles and even these characters who are like really rooting for you are still kind of reserved in their like expectation you know like no one really expects you to get out of here mm-hmm. uh and even the even the olympians like you know dionysus would be like hey we saved you a table prince zag like come on up whenever you're ready and zeus is like my dear nephew when you're here and it's like you never like maybe with a few exceptions like i think uh for whatever reason i've always i, I felt like artemis is the most genuine of all of them but yeah, they're Greek gods. They're all, they all have their own scheme going on. You know, like you never, you can never really like, even Achilles is like, you know, take their offers. Like it'd be foolish to not accept help if they're giving it, yes. but like keep an eye out. Like they're, they're doing this for their own yeah, self interest. This is, this is kind of what I was going to avoid going into, but why not? Is it, like, I just, I don't trust them at all. <laughs> you know, yeah, like right. they're all, they're all being so nice and so kind. And to me, it just feels like the gods are essentially, uh toying with me and just saying like i don't know it feels like they're watching me in the way that like you would watch a twitch streamer you know (laughs) well it's also like i mean it's worth noting too like when you you they always comment on who else has given you your boon and it's usually out of some kind of jealousy Mm -hmm. um and there are even rooms where like there'll be two boons and you take one and then you have to do a trial it's like appease the other god like what the fuck i thought we were cool and they you know we'll throw whatever at you but it's almost like they just want to be like, oh, I was the god that did the impossible. You know, I was the god that that blessed uh, the prince of the underworld to escape, you yeah. know, and like uh, it, it, it's really it's really interesting. Then you have characters like Primordial Chaos personified, who is, uh, you know, all the boons work where like at the end of the run or at the end of a room, you'll see like their icon and you'll activate it and you'll talk to them. And honestly, that's like those are the biggest narrative beats you're getting in a run because like you get to talk to them and they like you know might trust you over time or whatever chaos meanwhile you'll see a random portal on the ground and i was you texted me right after you got it you're like chaos is wild because yeah. <laughs> i was i knew you would i knew you would love them because there's this like weird portal on the ground and it, and it says like if you go here you're gonna lose like half your health basically like, yep. all right i guess i'll you have to yeah and you go there and you're in this really abstract like hall in outer space and you meet chaos who is this kind of like angelic figure but all their like lower organs are visible but they also have faces on them yeah and there's like weird like <laughs> their voice is like a lot of voices at once and and it's real like it really does feel otherworldly like when you meet chaos the first time you're like oh man this is not like the olympians like i i know I have a gauge of like what reality is with them. I'm in, I'm somewhere else right now. Yeah, the thing about chaos that I find really interesting, I, I just, I, I love chaos so much. Chaos is like mm-hmm. easily my favorite character in this whole game. The thing about chaos that I find fascinating is like, you just described what they look like. You know, it, it's essentially like a mass of, of bodies and faces and limbs and stuff. And at the top is just kind of like a, a kind of like slender face. And there are like some weird wings and it's constantly pulsating like a, like yeah. a weird, like rainbow hue on the screen whenever chaos is around um and like you said they talk to you with like you know a hundred choruses of voices the thing about chaos that i find so fascinating is it's it sounds horrifying and is not off-putting at all to be speaking to chaos like when they when they speak to you and when they're looking at you it's not like this is a horrifying mass of bodies that's speaking to me it's like weirdly calming it's weirdly okay it's completely silent there and they're they talk to you with this like weird earnestness that I almost appreciate. That's like I I know 
everything that's possible and I know everything that's impossible. And I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad that you're here again and that we get to hang out and talk some more. They're weirdly the most honest because they're like, you know, you've got to hurt yourself to even get here. And then they're like, they even say one of their dialogue is like, the Olympians are all kind of getting soft and they're all seeking your favor. I merely offer you a choice. Yeah. And the way their boons work is they usually make something worse for you for like a couple of rooms. Yeah couple of rooms and then you'll get a permanent bonus so it might be like you take twice as much damage for the next four rooms but your special attack does 80 percent more damage so like they're usually worth seeking at once especially early on yeah. and yeah if you get chaos you give, right in the beginning it's like a no-brainer because why not yeah and if you have if you give them nectar they're like how why are you trying to impress the personification of chaos but here take this yeah and they give you what's called a cosmic egg <laughs> and if you have that as your keepsake you can go into their realm without losing health and there's an increased chance of their boon being like a higher quality like you yeah. know it has the standard like common rare epic whole thing yeah uh, I think there's legendary boons if I had to guess. I've seen a couple. Oh, yeah. have you? And, okay, cool. I was I haven't yeah. seen one yet. I've been like waiting to see one. I wonder if it's because cause I, I tried to mainline a character for the episode. I'm like, what happens when you get like a bunch of hearts, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've given Artemis a bunch of nectar and she's like, why are you d-? like, she's like, you're being really nice to me. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm at a point where one of her hearts is locked, which from what I've discovered is like certain story beats, a certain dialogue has to be experienced before you mm. can progress. And I imagine it's because I, ga- I gave her so much nectar in a row that like I still have to see a lot of her dialogue. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, maybe. So, but yeah, I, I, I think it might also be because like you might need to get your relationship higher with gods for them to even have the option of giving you a legendary boon. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Right. Yeah, I uh I love chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I love chaos as well. Yeah, what what other characters are, are kinda speaking to you right now? We won't spoil anyone that like is you know, because there's some characters that aren't introduced to later that like I will not even tell you. Um yeah. But like, who in the immediate cast are you? Are you like kind of uh, intrigued? I mean, by? Megara is is great. You know, she's she's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. What a great vibe. Um, you'll run into her pretty early on. Her sisters are also incredible when you eventually meet them. Uh, just just so fun. Um, I am over the moon about uh, Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're great. If if you're a fan of Hades Town, the musical, um, you're gonna love what they do with Orpheus and Eurydice in, in this game because uh, it's very similar and almost feels like uh like a postscript almost like sequel to Hades Town. I was gonna say too. I feel like, and this is this is just a prediction. I don't know this. This is you know, if it's a spoiler, it's by pure clairvoyance. Yeah. I feel like they are secretly going to become the heart of the game at some point. Like, I feel Mm. like that that relationship will eventually take the spotlight. Yeah. So we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Orpheus is uh, you get them pretty early uh, once you get a certain item. They're the court musician of the Hall of Hades, but they can't sing. Yeah. Refuse to sing. Yeah. And then you're ready to see you'll meet as well. I won't say much more, but they're they're wonderful as well. Yeah. Uh, I do like Achilles a lot, too. And I love the fact that the compendium is written in his voice because like Mm -hmm. he kind of going back to you not trusting the gods like his description of the gods is very different than the personalities are getting like poseidon you and i commented on like poseidon comes off like he's the cool uncle he's like hello favorite nephew of mine like yeah your uncle is such a stick in the mud let me show you how to surf you know or whatever (laughs) um but the the compendium entry about poseidon and poseidon as i know in greek mythology 
I mean, he's the god of the sea and of, you know, a lot of different things. I mean, it's kind of like once the Titans were defeated, you know, and and law was kind of established, the fates gave Zeus the sky, uh, Hades the underworld, and Poseidon kind of got the material realm, primarily water. Yeah. But so the compendium of Poseidon is like, he comes off affable, but like how many of my brethren did he drown when I was immortal? Yeah. You know, he's wrathful. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's very much like the sea. He's very temperamental and he's usually... In a lot of Greek myths, he's either like the villain or, you know, an ally. Right. Uh, as often these gods are. And it's really fun to see that here. Because, you know, like someone like Dionysus is never going to be super wrathful to you, you know? Yeah. But like, it's still like they all have their own agenda. And it's I'm really curious to see how that plays out. And I'm also wondering uh, what Hades deal is. That's like the biggest question mark for me is like he is uh, and the game kind of slowly gives you these these scenes between Zagreus and Hades where it's like going a little bit more in depth of like why Zagreus is so determined to leave. Yeah, Uh, I won't get into that because that should be experienced by yourself, but it's really well done. And I think it's a really like for all the Greek mythology that I don't know, all the characters that make me want to look up who they are. Yeah. And for the ones I do know, I'm like, this is such a cool take on this character. Totally you know? agree. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many interesting, uh, twists on like it, it being both a faithful adaptation of of some of the greek gods and also just like a complete left turn um but at the end of the day yeah uh, I'll, I'll say this again uh it feels like a sequel to hades town at times which uh is great i mean obviously not the same vibe tonally but uh from a story perspective like if you if you were a fan of hades town and you listened to it or saw it live on broadway or wherever else i don't know if it made it anywhere else but uh if you if you listen to it or saw it and were like oh man i want what happens next like hades on the nintendo switch or your pc might actually be the answer (laughs) yeah um it's incredible man i think that might be a good place to end it because like i think if i said anything else it'd be maybe getting into spoilers uh we will revisit this yeah i was just about to say i'm sure we're gonna do a spoiler episode or something about this uh because you're you said you're you think you're close to the end i mean i feel like i only have a couple runs until i'm nearing the end as well honestly considering how far i've gotten but that i know that's that's not the actual end but i feel like i'm near the end of like what's considered narrative yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. um or or the main the main storyline at least i mean there's so much secondary and tertiary stuff to explore like you said that's the thing is is like eventually zagreus will probably make it out of the underworld right like eventually you will have a run that will take you out of the underworld and that will be considered a success in the same way um you make it to the end of slay the spire and you and you fuck up the heart you know or you make it to the end of binding of isaac and 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 kill mom or Splunky, kill Olmec, you know, whatever. You will make it to the end eventually, but that doesn't mean it's the end. And I'm really, really, really curious to see because those games end there generally. And then you start from the beginning. It's like, okay, try and do it again. Or like maybe you'll unlock a a second last boss, quote unquote, at the end of that. Um, I'm so fascinated to see what Hades is doing here because while those games end and then just give you more stuff, Hades has to have a narrative reasoning for you to continue going after you've escaped. And like, yeah, what does that look like? Why are the gods helping you after you've already made it out? you know like i'm so fascinated to see mechanically why that stuff sticks around but also narratively like what could possibly be the end game of hades yeah i i completely agree i mean which i think is new by the way i think that wasn't in there until this release i think i think the 1.0 release is like here's how the game ends which is interesting they said they they, i think i think in on twitter superdrive was like this is the you know you get the true definitive ending or whatever yeah and who knows what that means but yeah man it's real good 
uh, <laughs> highly recommend. It's twenty dollars as well. It's on sale right now. I don't know if it will still be when this comes out. Yeah, I think it's like an introductory launch price. Yeah, but um, I, I, it's great on handheld and docked, and I'm, I imagine it's great on PC as well. Highly, highly recommend. This is for everyone. I really think. I, I think that this is a such an exciting game, uh, and it's so much fun, and it's so hard to put down. And I really want to almost stop recording so I can play more of it. Like this is the first time that I that I am like prioritizing playing more of a game over doing our show. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, same here. Like I said, you know, Spelunky Two, one of my most anticipated games of all time. All I'm doing is playing Hades right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, a shame. It is all it the is games. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also have a lot more Mario to play. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to do that as well. We have our Mario bonus episode coming out later this month. Uh, a lot of fun guests on that episode. It's going to be a really good time. Yeah, we've recorded one part of the three parts so far, which was a blast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess this might be a good place to wrap up uh, if you are if you have anything else to say or if you don't have anything else to say. I don't. I'm good to go and play more Hades. Cool. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. We love making this show. Uh, if you like it, uh, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Review on Apple Podcasts out of five stars. Uh, Into the Cast Online is all the links you want. We've got dot our online. Twitter there. Into the Cast dot virus. I would love uh, if it was just Into the Cast Online. PS5. It was just like a place that you could go good. visit. Into the Cast. HTTP backslash uh Intercast online is all our links. It's our Twitch. It's our YouTube. Our Twitter. Pretty much everything is into the cast. Um, yeah, I will say actually, you, you already more. mentioned it, but if you haven't reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts, why not? You know, yeah. Not, I don't. Not? I don't mean like why the fuck haven't you done that? I mean like why? Why not just do it? Um, it helps. I think in some way. I, I think it has helped less over time as apple Podcasts has become less of the place that people listen to podcasts but um if you if you feel like taking five minutes to go do it that would be really cool i would i would, I would appreciate yeah. it personally i'm sure steven would too maybe even aj yeah, i'm sure aj would as well um yeah <laughs> and uh we've been streaming a lot more brenda you said you have your your morning splunky streams which has been a lot of fun i have a little bit of a better setup so i think the Twitch is going to be a lot more active. It already has like more than ever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, been we've been cool. saying for such a long time, like we want to stream more on Twitch. We want to stream more on Twitch. It's just going to like take a couple like turning of some knobs here and there. And for real, like on my end, that was just, I needed to move and like eventually <laughs> like move to a yeah. new place, get a new setup. Um, and now I have like a kind of permanent setup. I'm pointing behind me, but you can't see it because you're listening to the podcast. Steven can see it. Um, but I'm, I'm Hi. but, uh, but I have like kind of like a permanent setup. I'm using like, one of my old laptops it's plugged into my my uh one of my switch docks and my ps4 like i could just stream whenever now and it's great and i plan on doing it all the time um so that's awesome yeah i currently can only stream from ps4 if i could stream from switch you know what i would be doing but one day yeah. one day i'll uh, i'll have the equipment necessary anyway yeah uh so that's basically it uh, we've got a patreon thank you to our very generous patrons um as always if donating to the show puts you in any financial strain Please don't. Uh, the money helps the show grow. It doesn't help the show exist. We can do it without it. But we can do more stuff. More streams, get better equipment, all that kind of stuff. That's yeah. where the money's going. Totally. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Anything else to add? No. Uh, outside of my name is Brendan Bigley, and you can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger one more time, as Zagreus would say. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Have a great week.
KWG, the worst garbage dot online.